never been there, but this feels like it. Well, I'm not a crook. Robert Kennedy was shot in that ball. Hello and welcome to episode 274 of the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm uh, Manny Manuel. Today we're starting a brand new mini-series, ladies yep. and gentlemen. Hooray! So we made it all the way back. Uh, we, we started this humble little podcast a long time ago. Uh, we started it in the year 2018. Yep. Talking about the year 2007. Correct. film was the first kind of series yeah. that we did. I didn't okay. even know if that, that was That's even just one episode. episode. We did one episode on 2007. Yeah. And then we kind of worked our way back. We started doing multiple episodes sometime around, I'm going to say 2002. No, 98. We didn't even do multiple episodes for, like, just the Best Picture winners before that? Oh, wow. We made it through all of those. We made it to 98 before doing multiple episodes. That's crazy. But even then, we were just doing uh, the Best Picture winners. Correct. So, 98, 97. Uh, we started just doing uh, individual episodes in the Best Picture winner. I can't and, imagine having time to watch five movies in a week now. Yeah. And 96 was only Best Picture. It's 95 that we start to expand. Yes. However, uh, we've decided that we left a lot of stones unturned, yes. actually, in those years where we only did the Best Picture winners. Yeah. And uh, we would like to revisit them. So that's why we are today starting our uh, second 1997 miniseries, mm -hmm. I suppose. Yeah. We're kind of maybe combining them because we will not be re-recording our episodes on the five Best Picture nominees. So, Manny, riddle me this. Yeah. Is this episode one of the 1997 miniseries, oh. or is it episode six? Good call. I'm going to go episode one. And I'm going episode one because we have also decided to redo our 1997 year in review episode as That's well. That's true. So we're kind of wiping the slate clean. We're pretending it didn't happen. Yeah. Almost. Yeah, kind of, but not really, but also, yeah. Okay. So uh, just I have the 70th Academy Awards pulled up here. Uh -huh. That is that is the year. Yeah. Uh, the awards were... Uh, in March of 98, but for the 1997 film year. Yeah. So to reiterate, we have already discussed and will not be revisiting Titanic, As Good As It Gets, The Full Monty, Good Will Hunting, LA Confidential. Mm. The best picture noms for that year. Good year. It was a good year. Wow. I at least liked all of those movies, which isn't always the case. Yeah. Even The Full Monty, which is, I think, clearly the worst of the bunch, was still pretty good. Yeah. Pretty enjoyable. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think I also gave as good as it gets a three. 
I remember thinking that didn't age too well. I wonder what I gave it. You probably gave it a four. You think so? I think so. Let's find out. I do think so. The performance by Jack Nicholson's a little bit too good. And who's the female lead? Is it Helen Hunt? Correct. Yeah. I think the performances are a little too good. I don't think I can see you giving that a three. Yep. Four. Gave it a four. Yep. There it is. So, uh, yeah. We agreed on three of them and disagreed on two of them. Disagreed on as good as it gets. I'm going to say we disagreed on Titanic as well. No. Really? I gave I gave Titanic a three. I'm pretty sure, didn't I? You did not. I gave it a four. You did. Interesting. In my head, Titanic's a three. But... Wow, that is <laughs> fundamentally wrong. <laughs> An opinion can't I be wrong. I am very, very glad we're not revisiting it now. Uh, L.A. Confidential. Did I give L.A. Confidential a four? You did. And you gave it a five. You're fucking right. I okay, did. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> Interesting. So yeah, uh, excited to see what films we didn't get to. We have no fewer than 15 episodes planned in this here series. Yeah. There's, so, oh, sorry, I cut you off. So yeah. it is going to take a little bit. Uh, we project probably uh, better into the into the better chunk of 2024. This will take us. Yeah, we're looking probably late April. We should be done because we have a lot of a lot of other stuff planned uh, for the in betweens. Um, annual episodes, uh, traditions. We have Sam and Manual Movie Podcast traditions. That we want to uphold, and they will uh, be uh, sprinkled throughout the, uh, the the mini series. You know, one of these days, one of us is going to hit the lottery, and we can just do multiple episodes in a week, so we don't have to you don't have to skip over. You know, we just hit the lottery, do this podcast for a job. Holy shit, that'd be amazing! <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. That'd be amazing. just get the talk and talk and talk for a living. Think yeah. you can handle that? Damn it, I meant to mention something to you about the podcast when we were done the rundown prior to recording. You didn't? No. I'm going to leave a note for me at the end do of the Do you need to pause or do you? No. Okay, all right. No. We'll keep De- on trucking. It can definitely be discussed on the drive home. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> all right, so uh, that is the next several months of our life. We're going to be going back to 1997. Yeah. A year uh, which I was alive for. That's a refreshing, refreshing yeah. little twist. For the last several years, I was not alive for them. Yeah, you haven't been alive for these since 2020. Yeah, and I've been just... But th- there is a charm in that. There is a charm in going to movies that I wasn't even alive for the making of. I enjoyed it. I won't lie. Yeah. Now that we're jumping forward just a little bit, I think there will be a few more that I've that I've seen in the mix. I mean, yeah, I'm like, it's it's um, how best to describe it. It's it's kind of like win win for me in both regards. I I have a really good time when we're reviewing movies you haven't seen, even more so when you're like, I've never even heard of this movie. That's fun for me. But also, I'm going to enjoy it as we are. Our plans are to go forward. We're going to be going forward. We're going to f- kind of redo the 90s and then have a very large recap of the 90s itself as a decade. Yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, I've got some, some kind of big plans for those. Uh, it's going to take a, some work, and it's going to be more than one episode. Um, and then from there, we're going to do the first decade of the 2000s. We're going to go 2000. The aughts. The aughts. We're going to go 2000, 2009. That should take us to about 2030, roughly. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. And then, whatever. After that, we'll decide if we want to keep going forward or... By that time, it'll be time to do the 20s. <laughs> or, the, or the 80s. I don't know. We'll see. Anyways. Um, fuck, where was I going with that? Lost my train of thought. Whatever. Whatever. I'm, but, oh, that's what I was saying, is uh, the, the other fun part... Uh, is that 
as we move forward in time again, your library of films that you've seen will start to increase, mm-hmm. which will allow you a little bit more flexibility, especially when it comes to the top tens of the year, mm-hmm. and which will be nice uh, for you and to allow a little bit more variation. Because right now, especially as we're going further back, we were sharing six to seven films uh, on our list. Yeah, it's going to be fewer and fewer. Yeah, so going forward, we'll have a little bit more variation, which will be uh, fun. Hmm. Yeah. We have to thank Kyle for coming on last week on short notice as uh, Sam got tied up with a... Quickly becoming a regular on the show, Kyle is. Well, he's, this is, it's only his second episode. Yeah, <laughs> in, a, in a very short time. I can't remember the last time somebody had their sophomore debut so so quickly after. That's true, yeah. Huh. It, it, it does... Sophomore, sophomore debut is wrong. My sophomore appearance. Yes. It was his debut as a sophomore. Yeah, it was his first time being on the podcast as a sophomore. Yeah. And he did so well that he will not be appearing as a sophomore again. No. <laughs> no. A junior? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The American high school system is weird. It is Just weird. use numbers. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, but yeah, Kyle uh, stepped up on short notice. For those that did listen to the episode, it, it kind of left them as a surprise because we didn't do the episode that Sam and I had planned on because Sam was selfish and wanted to keep that movie for himself. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) But we do have to thank Kyle uh, for coming on. We had a really great time uh, reviewing Hacksaw Ridge. And we... uh, Well, Kyle came on, and he had a little gift for us, Sam, and and I want to play it for you. Oh, that's great. All right, so uh, I'm going to play it for you now. Here we go. Bear with me. Should work. When needed... And he answered the call. Welcome back, Kyle. It's very, very nice to be here. Uh, thank you, Sam, for dropping the ball. <laughs> Love to see it. I'm uh, very excited to be back. You know, I've been chomping at the bit a little bit. Nice. Um, and, you know, I wanted to express a little bit of appreciation and maybe fill a, a small gap that I think I heard you guys have. Um, so I brought a proverbial gift. A gift? How exciting! And a complete and utter surprise. <laughs> so <laughs> I was wondering, I, I yeah. heard this talked about on an episode and mm-hmm. I don't know if it, I, you know, I didn't listen to every episode after, but I d- never heard a resolution to this. Okay. I was wondering if you guys have a name for movies that you mutually rated a one. No, <laughs> no, we, we haven't. <laughs> How amazing. Hold on. Let me just double check here currently no we don't so we do have the sam pantheon for the fives but we do not have a name for the ones so i i was doing a lot of thinking on this and i I, I thought this was my chance so fucking happy right now (laughs) (laughs) okay so i've got i've got something again like i i thought about this for a an embarrassingly long amount of time (laughs) but i think i came up with something pretty good okay so, what I'm bringing to you for movies that you and Sam mutually rate a one out of five. Uh huh. The Sam Sads. <laughs> which stands for Sam and Manny's Shockingly Awful and Dreadful Collection. Holy shit, that fucking rules. <laughs> Holy shit, that fucking 
rules. Okay, I'm so glad right now. (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely love the name. I plan on completely playing this clip for Sam next week. I don't think think Sam listens to the episodes because he's a complete piece of shit. Uh, Fuck. Okay. So I need to write that down. So that is the Samuel and Manuel. Okay. Okay, give me that again. Samuel Manuel, what? Shockingly awful and dreadful. Shockingly awful and dread. Whoop. Dreadful. Done. Holy shit. <laughs> I am just grinning. There's Kyle's gift. First of all, that's a spectacular gift. <laughs> uh, Manny can attest to it. I uh, I erupted. There was, there was a brief eyebrow raise of sam sads I'm like what does that mean and the explanation is uh, is phenomenal so that's great thank you very much kyle a for coming on uh, on short notice uh b for uh giving us that awesome gift that's fantastic uh manny i can't help but wonder if you meant to crop out the moment where you called me an asshole but, no uh... <laughs> I, I did not mean to uh crop no, out that's at good all. i'm glad you left it in that's <laughs> finally good to know how you feel after all these years that's that's good we get that out of the way <laughs> uh no for real uh kyle that's uh where Manny and I have fallen short over the last, I don't know, it's not like I've put a lot of effort into thinking of a name, but we have fallen short over the last year, several years, however long it's been. Yeah, we, we never put much thought into it. I think you coined the name Sam Pantheon probably roughly two years ago, maybe? Sounds about right. Sounds like somewhere in there. Um, and since then, I think I think the idea has been floated a couple of times that we needed a, a name for that sort of thing. But uh, the Sam Sads, I, Manny, if you're in favor, I'm in favor oh, of, of d- crowning those... Uh, <laughs> The Sam Sads. Yes, one one hundred percent. We have three. That's all we have is only three. Uh, okay, Halloween Town. Yes, <laughs> easy one. Uh, Color of Night. Yes, and I don't know if I'm gonna get the last one because um that fucking Melanie Griffith one was not. No, you rated that one a two, and I rated it a one. I'm pretty sure. Um, that's color sh- shining through. Oh, shining through. Yeah, yeah, I gave it a two because. Yeah, you gave it a two. There were some parts in it that I liked. Uh, oh, um, uh, is it uh, not Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, but the... No, uh, I gave it a two. Oh, you did? Hey. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is a part of a series. Uh-huh. Um, so one... As, and when you say part of a series, you mean not like a part of a year in review series. No, like it is... A, the, the, the third film is part of a franchise. Oh, interesting. Oh, it's not... No, uh, Spider-Man 3, I gave a 2, didn't I? Correct. Okay. Third film. Uh, oh, <laughs> that would be the 2019 stinker of a film. Uh, that would be Rise of Skywalker. Correct. Yeah, that's bad. Correct. It's a bad movie. <laughs> I feel confident. Now, as per tradition, as per our podcast, it has to be a movie that both you and I rate a 1. Now, there is uh, a movie that me and my co-host gave a one. I'm going to go ahead and assume that's Ghost Can't Do It. Yes. So when you get to watching it. And probably inevitably give it a one. <clears throat> it will be added in to the Sam Sads mm-hmm. uh, officially. Until then, uh, it, 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 it's has, an honorary it, Sam it, has, it has dodged that bullet. It's a, it's a jam sad. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Um, it's... It's. I that was, was Jordan on that episode, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Jordan is 
now committed to joining us for all of the Worst Picture nominees. Like, fucking why? Like, great. Like, happy to have her, but, like, that's fucking just an awful fade. Uh, I basically kind of pushed her into it. <laughs> that's great. It, it is good to have somebody to share the suffering with. Manny's told me that even uh, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane and... Um, and Ghost Can't Do It, I am going to be required to watch those just for the sake of a 1990 wrap-up series that he has up his sleeve. Yes. Um, I'm convinced it's really just so he can force me to suffer as much as he did. Uh, well, I personally didn't suffer for Ford Fairlane. No, yeah. That's it, true. It got a passing grade mm-hmm. from me. Jordan gave it a two, I think, is what you said. Yeah. 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 If she had given it a one, I would have understood. Mm-hmm. Because I, as I was watching it, I realized, I'm like, I asked the wrong person to join me for this movie. <laughs> yes. But she, uh, she, she toughed through it, and I, um, I repaid her. I, I, I said, you pick a movie for me to watch, and I will watch it as a thank you. What was it? She picked a delightful film <clears throat> called uh, Polite Society. Oh, yeah. Fantastic movie that you would thoroughly enjoy. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. All right, so yeah, big thank you to Kyle for the Samsads. It is now officially part of the lexicon. Yeah, of the he, has, he, he has quickly enshrined himself. Uh, he's he's made him part of made himself part of the culture. I, you know, you have guests on sometimes. People are busy. Some people mm-hmm. want to be involved with what we do uh, in a long term and active basis. Some don't. No hard feelings. That's no, fine. Yeah, no hard feelings. Kyle has proven himself to be an active member of this community. Yes. I, uh, I, I'm here for it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Anytime somebody wants to be an active member of the community, it just further enhances my enjoyment of the community. It itself. is a little community that we have here, isn't it? It is. I don't think we've ever actually used that word before. It is. We got ourselves a little, little community here. We do. It's a little baby one. And I absolutely, I, I love it. Yeah, it's great. I absolutely love it. <laughs> All right. Uh, speaking of our community, our uh, podcast listeners, uh, those that listen to us on Spotify, will notice that I pose a question each week attached to the episode. And last week's episode was Hacksaw Ridge in honor of Remembrance Day. So the question last week was, what is your favorite war film? And one person wrote a response, and that was Jordan. Her answer is, life is beautiful. Mm. Sam, what is your favorite war film yeah <laughs> uh that would be quite like by a by a landslide it's uh saving private ryan yeah that's my answer as well yeah yeah i wrote your answer down before i even before you even sat down in your chair today i'm curious how that's gonna do on the uh on the refreshed uh, top 20 when we one day revisit that um both for both of us yes I how it's gonna do on the top 20 i already have a pretty good idea for myself interesting i've yet to even really do the preliminary top 20 i've got a lot of other things i gotta make lists for right now actually <clears throat> yeah john williams <clears throat> yep john williams <clears throat> warner brothers um yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah so that is the spotify question of the week let's get into what we've been watching sam you've been a busy boy you had a, a gig uh, congratulations on your gig thank you very much I, I heard it went well oh it was awesome and it you had a good time packed house friendly faces love it beer was flowing it was fun. sweet yeah. uh so that uh, cut into your uh film watching time but you did have time to watch one other movie besides the one we're reviewing and what movie was that my friend uh so there was one night where uh, emma and i were looking for something rather relaxing to watch something something silly and fun uh she she said before we sat down on the couch she's like i i don't want to watch anything serious tonight i really just want to watch something fun and lighthearted, um and maybe smoke a little weed I'm like oh you know what would be a good 
a good movie to watch while smoking weed that she had never seen before, but I've seen several times. I'm like, have you ever seen Tenacious D, The Pick of Destiny? Oh, shit. She said she hadn't. So we watched that. Uh, the summary, the plot summary on uh, IMDb is, to become the greatest band of all time, two slacker wannabe rockers set out on a quest to steal a legendary guitar pick that leaves its holders incredible guitar skills from a maximum security rock and roll museum. Um, I'm debating how much of this I actually want to reveal, because this has always been kind of in my back pocket as maybe a Manny Movie Club pick if I ever <laughs> start participating regularly in that ever again. Which, quick, quick aside, don't yeah. mean to cut you off. Yeah. We had a good stretch where you missed out on some really fucking fantastic films. Oh, I like, bet. Like, like, not to be like, hey, asshole. Yeah. But, uh, no, I, I honestly, I, I would love to begin participation in that again, but I can't even watch the films for this podcast half yeah. the time. So I gotta, I gotta get, take care of that first. Um, regardless, this is a film that has been near and dear to me for a long time. It's so stupid um i actually don't even smoke weed that much i really don't it's never really been my thing uh this weed is not integral to the enjoyment of this film but i can now tell you from experience having smoked weed while watching it uh that it does heighten it <laughs> it does heighten the enjoyment uh it was a lot of fun some very good giggles um i think people who would enjoy this movie are people who enjoy musicals people who enjoy jack black people who enjoy smoking weed uh people who uh enjoy metal music uh rock or metal music and uh, one of the things that this film does so well actually genuinely is pay tribute to rock greats the people who made this film jack black and kyle gas um, are clearly such big fans of the music that they're paying tribute to there's cameos by uh greats of the scene that maybe people who aren't into metal won't know um, I had to explain to Emma who Ronnie James Dio was. I don't know if you know who that is, but he was um, he was in a band simply called Dio for a long time. Uh, he also took over for Black or for Ozzy Osbourne when he left Black Sabbath. Uh, Ronnie James Dio was the next person, also credited as the inventor of the heavy metal devil horns. So people like that who are considered in the metal community to be to be rock rock legends, really, and metal legends, um, but maybe people outside the culture won't really know. Tenacious D does a really good job of paying tribute to those sorts of people. Are you Googling? Okay, never mind. I thought I needed to be aware of this. Um, I will also just nip in the bud uh, that some uh, Gene Simmons has claimed to be the inventor of the heavy metal devil horns on more than one occasion. Um, but according to Ronnie James Dio, Gene Simmons also invented the moon and orange juice and, you know, whatever else. Yes. Uh, so um, Tenacious D genuinely, even though it is a silly slacker comedy that has fart jokes and smoking weed jokes and, uh, you know, very ridiculous over the top humor a lot of the time, it, it's really filled with a lot of heart. And what I love about it is the way it pays such genuine tribute to the music that it that it professes to love and it does uh it's only an hour and a half long um it's very much an odyssey movie it's two uh <laughs> two loser slackers on the road to find the pick of destiny that's gonna make them the greatest rock and roll band of all time they assume uh and along the way they get into misadventures they run into celebrity cameos they uh have to break into the rock and roll history museum uh, with the help of another amazing celebrity cameo that I won't spoil for Manny, but <laughs> you will, uh, you will be shocked. Everybody who's actually in this movie, um, along the way, all the cameos that they run into, actually seem like they're having a lot of fun too. Nobody's phoning it in. Nobody's collecting a paycheck. A lot of them are are 
really aware of the movie that they're in and are totally leaning into it. And I respect them so much for that. Um, the music itself, um, I actually listened to this album, the Pick of Destiny album from Tenacious D, um, long before I had seen the movie. I listened to this album. The music is just genuinely very good. Um, obviously not everybody's cup of tea with it being kind of hard rock metal uh, somewhere on that borderline. Uh, but I I really enjoy the music for this album, and I had to resist uh, watching with Emma, who had seen it, who was just watching it for the first time. I had to resist uh, singing along and singing all the words because I this is uh, you just know all of them. Uh, one brief little anecdote, I guess, about Tenacious D, the Pick of Destiny, just to give you an idea of its standing in the metal community. Uh, so this movie bombed in the box office. It has a reputation as a bomb. The band in their releases since has made jokes about what a bomb this film was. Nobody went to see it. It was it was a complete disaster in the box office. Um, since its release, though, uh, it has become a very iconic cult classic in the metal community. Um, kind of similar standing to, not quite as big a deal, but kind of similar standing to Spinal Tap. How it's kind of quoting it is, is a way in in the community. Um, so much so that in the 2022 and 2023 editions of Armstrong Metal Fest, um, a metal festival that I have attended annually for a couple of years now, uh, there is an annual sing-along of a couple of the songs from Tenacious D, The Pick of Destiny. In, in particular, there's an annual sing-along of the uh, closing track, Beelzebos, or the, like, what's the word that I'm looking for? The climactic track. Uh, from the from the final battle against the rock battle against the devil, uh, Beelzebos, and uh, there's an annual sing along where every person in the room knows all the words, and it's uh, it's a magical sort of moment. So yeah, um, Tenacious D: The Pick of Destiny is a is a film that, uh, in spite of its really silly nature, <laughs> uh, actually, but now that I'm sitting here talking about it, I guess means quite a lot to me. Uh, I'm I was very much happy to share it with somebody that I cared about, and I uh, I. If you listening decide to watch it, I will give you a fair warning. You probably won't like it as much as I do. It's it's really it's really really dumb, and some of the humor might not land. It's best experience with friends, maybe under the influence of a substance or two. Um, and you know, if you're already predisposed to liking rock and metal music, that's a bonus. Um, shit, Manny, I logged this as a four. Like this is this is a five out of five movie for me. This is this is just like one of those comedies that brings a smile to my face, and I, I can't help but I can't help but beam all the time in this movie it's fantastic awesome <laughs> that was very enjoyable listening to you now oh, when you i can't I wait just, for you to watch this movie and i've be seen like, it oh have you yes oh fuck <laughs> i don't know why i always forget that yeah long time ago though i assume very long time ago i i watched it when it when it do you remember any of the celebrity cameos in it? No. There's a few. There's a, I forget every time I watch it. I'm like, holy shit, there's a lot of people in this movie. No, I, re I, do, re I do remember not liking the movie. Yeah. Now, I was, past tense, past tense, was a Tenacious D fan. Hmm. I was a fan of them prior to the movie. Oh, funny, because I, I am a fan now, but I actually haven't seen the TV show. I haven't seen the original mm, TV show. I never show. saw the TV show. Oh, were you just a fan of their music? Yes. Nice. Yeah. I was a, f yeah, I was a fan, I was a fan of their music, mm -hmm. like, a lot of their songs, I absolutely fucking adore, and I, I remember watching the movie and not being very happy about it, um, so I, but my, I have literally zero recollection of it, so. I, I don't think you would enjoy it that much on rewatch, uh, other than to see, like, 
hey, great. This is this is a movie that Sam really likes, t- tip of the cap. Um, one more brief anecdote I yeah. actually should mention. You mentioned that I had a gig this weekend. Um, what, one of the earlier bands in, in the night uh, stepped up to the mic for their last song and said, we'd like to dedicate this, sound, this song to Sam Reimer, and they played uh, Tribute by Tenacious no! D. Yeah, which is not on the Pick of Destiny soundtrack, but is probably their most famous song. I love that song. Yeah, it's fucking fantastic. And, of course, I sang every word of it. Nice. It's been a, a karaoke staple for my brother and I, actually. Tribute has for, for a long time. Wicked. So. Shout out to you, Nick. Yeah, definitely. Hi, Nick. He, he doesn't listen. I was going to say, I'm like, does your brother even listen to this? No, nah, he doesn't listen to this. Well, Nick, Nick, you just broke my heart. <laughs> well, you'll have to tell him personally, because again, <laughs> I will reiterate, he doesn't listen. <laughs> it's okay. I don't think any of my sisters listen. I think my youngest sister does. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. If Nick has ever listened to an episode, he's never told me about it. So Interesting. Uh, what about your sister? No, she's got too much going what on. What a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> well said. <laughs> on that note, Manny, uh, what, what have you been up to this week? Uh, I know you've, you've been a busy bee too, but not for, uh, for, for movie watching reasons. Dude, I've watched over a dozen movies in the last week. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. Oh my God, I can't imagine having that much free time. I really can't. Yeah. It's crazy. It's fucking phenomenal. So, but as per our uh, limitations that we, we have set forth, I'm only allowed to speak of five. And five, I shall speak of. Uh, the first movie I'm going to talk about is uh, widely considered one of the greatest films of all time. I'm just going to quickly... Uh, I just want to double check if it's still on the AFI Top 100. Um, pardon me while I quickly look. I, I apologize, everybody. Uh, the movie is called Annie Hall. Oh, yes. And I'm excited to hear you talk about this. I just want to see. I'm having a hard time finding it on the list. And damn it, I don't see it there. I know it's on the list though. Mm-hmm. This is horrible. Okay, I can't find it. Would you mind looking for? Yeah, uh, we're just looking for where AFI uh, or where Annie Hall is on yeah. the AFI Can list. Can you do that while I while yeah. I move forward? Cool. Okay, so Annie Hall, <clears throat> Alvy Singer, a divorced Jewish comedian, reflects on his relationship with ex-lover Annie Hall, an aspiring nightclub singer, which ended abruptly, just like his previous marriages. Uh, so on the 1997 list, it was 31st. Yeah, uh, dropped to 35th on the 2007. Okay, <clears throat> all right. <clears throat> I've watched off the top of my head four or five Woody Allen films. I've only watched two of his films where he is a star, is the or a star in the movie. The this is one, the other one being Husbands and Wives. His character Alvy Singer Alvy Singer is insufferable. I wanted to throttle him. <laughs> Which, in turn, made me, obviously, dislike this film. I'm going to keep talking about it. Not going to spoil anything. I gave it a two. Now, that being said, I can fully understand why this is considered one of the greatest films of all time, especially for when it came out and what it does in the movie. I don't have a frame of reference, so I'm guaranteeing for a fact in 1977... It is not the first to do this, but I bet you in the manner in which it does these things, which I'm about to reveal, it was definitely fresh, 
new, and inventive. He breaks the fourth wall numerous times and in very inventive and at times amusing ways. My favorite is he and Annie are in line at a movie theater and they are having a discussion, but the person behind them is having a louder discussion on film and he is pretentious as fuck. And Alvi is getting annoyed and has having no problem whatsoever voicing his displeasure, even though the person is right behind him. And at one point, the guy starts talking about some type, one filmmaker and why he thinks the filmmaker was doing something. And Alvi says, I've had enough. Grabs the guy, pulls him out of the line. They walk out of frame and then, then the camera starts to follow him. And he goes, we're going to ask the filmmaker himself and pulls out the real filmmaker himself to tell this guy that that's not what his intention was in the film. And that filmmaker calls that guy an idiot. <laughs> so one of the highlights of the film. One of the other good points of the movie is there is a scene at Annie Hall's apartment where they are kind of flirting and getting to know one another. And she is saying one thing, but they use subtitles to show what she's really saying and what her inner thoughts are. And it's really adorable as she's trying to come across a little bit smarter, but she's so insecure that she's worried that he feels stupid. You have the filmmaker? Uh Federico Fellini and Marshall McLuhan. It's Marshall McLuhan that they he pulls it out of, out of the crowd. Fellini is not the person he pulls out, hmm. or not not the filmmaker that he pulls the guy out to talk to. It's not Fellini. It's the other guy. What was it? Marshall McLuhan. Marshall McLuhan. <laughs> you know the funny thing is, I'm actually I'm kind of familiar with who this is. Not really directly because of his work, but uh, Emma actually studied his work through uh, from school, and she's told me about his work before. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there is an animated sequence in this movie. And there's actually this really, really great moment in the movie that my eyes were scattered all over because it is a shot. Um, it's just it's a it, it's basically a walk and talk scene, and you can hear Woody Allen in his distinctive voice. He's talking to somebody, but Woody Allen's not on screen, and you're seeing these people. It's just a shot of a sidewalk of a street. Mostly the sidewalk is in is is center. And then, you know, the street where all the cars are. And there's kind of like a park on the left-hand side of the screen. You can hear Woody Allen's voice, but he's not on screen. And it takes about 10 seconds. He is way the hell down the street. Hmm. And he eventually comes into view. And so you're watching these other people in the street, but you're hearing his conversation. I'm like, that's a really brave choice to not have yourself on screen. But you are like your, your voice is loud and distinct as if you were on center of the stage screen and eventually you come into screen hmm. it was really a, like so the movie the filmmaking aspects of this movie are top notch dialogue incredible really great use of some split screen as well like, like the filmmaking of this i can 100 percent understand why it's considered one of the greatest films of all time i just wanted to kill alvi <laughs> i hated him and he did not deserve annie hall in any way, shape, or form. Easy two for me. I've only seen one Woody Allen movie. I've only seen one. Which one? Uh, Midnight in Paris. Okay. It was okay. I wasn't the target demo for it. It was definitely geared towards readers of like classics. Okay. And I'm I'm not that, or at least I haven't been that. Okay. So, so. I know. Okay. So I've seen Annie Hall, Alice, Husbands and Wives, Bullets Over Broadway. And I feel like I'm missing one. 
Uh, I have a Woody Allen coming up in 97. I'm going to continue to watch his work. Like, there's one called Manhattan that I've heard is absolutely brilliant that I like to see, and I've heard Crimes and Misdemeanors is really good as well. So we'll see. I'm going to keep giving him a chance. He's highly regarded. He's one of these guys who works very quickly, right? Like a film a year sort of thing. Yeah. Not anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I wonder why. Yeah. So, but, again, let's make this a, a poop sandwich. I started off nice. I've voiced my displeasure on Alvi. Let's end with nice. Thank Keaton is absolutely fe- fucking spectacular in this movie. Mm-hmm. Of course She's she is. adorable. Um, her use of the of the phrase uh, la di da is just delightful. Mm-hmm. She says it a couple times. Just like, oh, I love you so much. Uh, yeah, it's. I'm gonna I'm gonna say Annie Hall for, and this is so pretentious. For fans of film, it is worth watching to see and understand why it's so highly regarded. And hopefully people will enjoy it more than I did. I don't have a problem with the film itself. I just have a major problem with the character who is massively unlikable. And so I did not want him to win, succeed, or have anything good happen to him. And so when I have an unlikable main character, it's hard for me to enjoy the movie. Annie Hall. I love it. Uh, Next is uh, this round's Manny Movie Pick. Picked by my nemesis, Rachel. Dun, dun, dun. Rachel picked a Christmas movie, and her pick this year was the movie called Violent Night. When a group of mercenaries attack the estate of a wealthy family... Santa Claus must step in to save the day and Christmas. This movie, let me just say right now, Rachel gave a five. A five. There are three really great things in this movie. Let's start with those. David Harbour as Santa Claus, spectacular. John Leguizamo as the villain, delightful. The homages to Die Hard and Home Alone, exquisite. The homages to Home Alone are the highlight of the movie. I put it up there. (sighs) Every single other actor and actress in this movie is actively bad. They are horrible, Sam. They are atrociously bad. (sighs) The action in this movie is over-the-top and incredibly violent. It's that over-the-top violence that makes it funny when you see somebody get dismembered. You know what I'm talking about? Yep, I do. Okay. Uh, Almost... I am using this as a point of reference, people, not a comparison in the same way of Kill Bill. These are not on the same level. Right. Now, Rachel did state that she watched this in a fairly full theater of people who were on board for this kind of film, so she feels that may have raised her enjoyment level. And I can understand that. I had a pretty decent time with this movie. 
I gave it a three. I don't see myself watching this year in, year out as a Christmas classic. But I can understand why people would like this. But I can't stress enough. <laughs> I can't stress enough on how good David Harbour and John Leguizamo are. And especially in, comparison, in comparison to the rest of the cast. I thought you were about to tell me this was like another in a great string of movies in the in the Manny Movie Club. Not so. No. Sorry. No. We had we we had a really good streak going. Let me just double check that streak here. We should have the What there. movies that you think I would love or No movies in the uh in the movie we like we had a oh I think somebody interrupted the streak. Oh yeah. Oh no, never mind. We didn't have a streak. We just had some like so we had we had ten Cloverfield Lane, then the color purple, then the squid and the whale. Then we had, oh, wow, Rachel's Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Then we had Coherence by T-Bone, which I can't stress enough. Which I watched. Yeah. So good. You, yeah. you did watch it? Yeah. I think we. T- I thought we talked about it. Maybe we didn't. But I did I did wind up watching it. Yeah. So fucking it's really good. good. So Amazing fucking. concept. Just proof yes. that you don't need a big budget to do a, a big film. Yeah. Oh, right? Like, yeah. no no budget. Yeah. Like, we could almost make, almost make that movie. Yeah. It's crazy. Almost. And it's super imaginative. Yeah. We just wouldn't be as good as actors, but. No. Yeah. No, no, no. Um. Okay, well then, Seven Years in Tibet. Uh, but then Shiva Baby, so good. Mm, Rice Boy Sleeps, Princess Mononoke, that was my pick. I regret it. Uh, Lady Macbeth. And so we're on, we're on a bit of a losing streak right now. Yeah, uh, I have seen both Squid and the Whale and Ten Cloverfield Lane. I didn't watch them for the club, but I have seen both of those yeah. films as well. Yeah, we had, a, we had a good run. I'm hoping we can get back on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so Violent Night, three out of five. Um, I don't know. Uh, I'm... I wish I could articulate properly the type of person that would like this movie. I would just, I, I know who they are and they would watch it and they would enjoy it. Uh, I, for you, Sam, you would have to be in the mood for something really fucking stupid. I already watched Tenacious D this week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah. There's just, there are aspects of this movie that I just don't understand. Like for one, like for one, I don't understand. It's not a spoiler. It, the the movie literally opens with Santa Claus drinking in a pub, hmm. and they, they there's no they never explain why he's an alcoholic. Ever, at all, I don't I don't get it. But whatever. Anyways, three out of five. I did have a good time. The act like the action is is pretty well done. Like it's fun. There's two incredibly great action scene two two three two the, the final battle between Liquizamo and santa claus are are pretty fucking awesome okay <clears throat> next up a movie i went into with incredibly low expectations and that is the latest mcu movie the marvels carol danvers gets her powers entangled with those of kamala khan and monica rambo forcing them to work together to save the universe. So I've made it fairly clear I'm not a Brie Larson fan as Captain Marvel. But Imani, is it Imani? I'm just going to double check. Iman, so just Iman. Iman Vellani as Kamala Khan. This just solidified her place in the MCU history. Her show, Miss Marvel, 
was really good <clears throat> when they stuck with her story in regards to her family. Her family. Did you watch Miss Marvel, Sam? No. Her family, Sam, and her interactions with them are what made Miss Marvel enjoyable to watch. When she leaves that family behind and goes on her superhero adventure, that show takes a big dip. Her chemistry with the actors in her family, which include her mother, father, and brother, are pure gold. Her family is what makes you want to watch more of that show. So when they're in, when they are, when they, I don't want to say they show up in this movie, they're, they're basically almost from the start. Every scene with them is comedy gold. They are, they are, and Amon Vellani are the reason to watch this movie. She is a star in the making, and depending on where they decide to go, and they leave a very obvious trail onto where they're planning to go with this character, and I'm fucking on board. Please, please, please continue along that path, even though I already know that they are. <sighs> Brie Larson, uh, not good. She, once again, doesn't really appear to care to be there. If Captain Marvel never shows up again in the MCU, I am okay with that. Uh, I don't think she's uh, played with much passion uh, by Brie Larson, and she is way too overpowered. Way too overpowered. And so they did a really cool and inventive thing in this movie to compensate for that, her being overpowered, and I liked what they did. And the movie was way more enjoyable than I was expecting. I went in expecting this to be probably the worst Marvel movie, and it's not. It's mid to lower tier for sure, but it was definitely better. It has some real big problems, mainly. Either 1A or 1B when it comes to Marvel movie problems. Do you remember what those are? 1A or 1B when it comes to Marvel movie problems? Um, shit, I don't know. Uh, the villain is too yep. mustache twirly. Nope. The villain villain problems. Yeah. And usually the the big climactic fight at the end is over the top and too CGI heavy. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would also add one of my main problems with Marvel films, insofar I have problems with the ones that I see, uh, is the undercutting of what should be emotional moments with comedy. Oh, okay. I can understand that. Yeah. Uh, so this movie's villain is hands down the worst in the MCU. And it's running away. Hmm. She is horrible. She is atrocious. She is one of the worst active performances in the history of the MCU. It was rough to watch. That woman did not give a fuck about this movie. Um, would that be? I think it, uh, the character I think is Darben. That's it. Yep. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce this actress's name. It's Z A W E. I'm gonna go with Zaw. Could also be Zoe. I think it might be Zoe. Zoe. Okay. Ashton. Ashton. Yeah. yeah. Zoe Ashton. Yeah. Sorry, Zoe Ashton. Uh, I think you were atrociously bad. Uh, the there is an incredibly inventive action scene at the beginning of the movie. 
while I'm not a fan of Brie Larson's Captain Marvel, her chemistry with uh, Amon Vellani is spectacular, but it's all on Amon Vellani's side. Um, I'm pretty sure, well, since you never watched Miss Marvel, you don't even really know the character. Uh, Kamala Khan is obsessed with Captain Marvel, like mm. obsessed, like complete hero worship. So seeing somebody get to meet their hero was fun. Because she's got that whole hero worship thing, trying not to stumble over her words and try not to be too much of a, a loser in front of the person that she admires so high. That was really great. Um, I went and saw this with T-Bone and Mushy. Mushy had a really good time. And while seeing her enjoy the movie definitely enhanced mine, it did not affect my rating of it but we went on a tuesday after the opening so we went on the first cheap night after the opening of this movie in the large theater and it was almost empty i think this movie is performing very poorly at the uh, box office that's what i'm looking at right now as you're talking is box office numbers so did, uh, it make, did it make 45 over the weekend? Uh, it's, I don't have... It was like 46 or something like that. Yeah. This is uh, going to be the lowest grossing Marvel movie. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe not the lowest grossing, because like, the early ones, I have to imagine, would have been pretty low grossing as well. I still now. think they're going to beat this. Really? I, I think so. Certainly, if it's not the lowest... Gro- or, uh, 47 million, by the way. $47 million opening. Um, currently, I'm looking at just the Wikipedia page real quick. Uh, estimated... Uh, two hundred nineteen point eight million dollar net budget. I don't know why. I imagine net budget is probably what we're going to be looking at there. Um, box office currently hundred and sixteen million, and it's been out what since November tenth. It looks like been out a week. Yep. And it's recouped half of its budget. And generally speaking, these days, I believe it's the two and a half x rule. Two and a half x rule. Uh, you need to make two and a half times your budget in order to actually turn a profit. Yeah. Um, so what we're looking at probably uh, 440, about $550 million that we're going to need. And we're about $440 million short of that right now. Yep. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money to waste. That being said, this movie does set up two incredible things, which I will not spoil here, but the, First, oh, for anyone listening, there is actually only one um, stinger in this movie. It is uh, uh, mid-credits. Do not feel the need to wait until the end of the credits. There's nothing there except a sound effect. Right. So if you want to save yourself some time or if you want to stay in the theater and pay tribute and homage to the people that worked on the film, you're more than welcome to. That's mm-hmm. what we did. I try to do it as often as I can. Hard when I have my daughter because she just wants to get going. But for most movies, I try to stay. The uh, stinger in this film is jaw-droppingly amazing and has me very excited going forward depending on what they decide to do. The last scene of the film uh, pays homage to a stinger from a long time ago. And I know that that they were planning to go down that route but now it's being put in motion. I'm just trying not to spoil anything for you. Mm, sure. Uh, has me fucking ecstatic. Wow. Yeah. But the movie gets a three. 
as a, as a percentage, Manny, mm-hmm. what percentage of post Endgame MCU content have you consumed? One hundred percent. Yeah, I have not missed anything by the MCU. Are you excited for the direction that the MCU is going in? Prior to this movie, no. This movie is re uh, it's lit the flame back in you again. Lit the flame, no. They haven't had. They haven't had much to be excited about what's coming down the pipe for a while. They've had a real hard time setting up the next kind of big bad, even though they've been setting them up for a while. For those wondering, there's no, it's Kang who has made appearances in season one of Loki, uh, season two of Loki, and in Ant Man Quantumania. While those Ant-Man Quantumania doesn't leave much to be desired in your excitement to see where Kang goes, because I have a basic idea of the way that the Kang dynasty plays out in comics and what it's going to entail, plus I know, well, I shouldn't say I know, they have announced there is a major release coming up just before the Kang Dynasty. Not spoiling anything, it's public knowledge. The Fantastic Four movie is coming up. They are supposed to be announcing the cast, I think, by the end of this week. Lots of speculation. Uh, seems that all, almost all but confirm who one person is being cast as, and I'm. we discussed off-air. I'm not right. that happy about it. Mm-hmm. Hopefully he surprises me. That The person who's rumored, while I agree, is probably miscast. Uh, they are a very talented person. Incredibly so I, talented. So they at least have the potential to rise to the occasion and surprise us. Yep. I probably am on board with you. I don't think they're going to, necessarily. Or I, at least I don't think they're the right fit. But. I, don't, I don't think they're the right fit, and I think it's a waste of their talent to play this type of character. That's yeah. the way I feel. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm very open to the possibility that they could prove us wrong. Though. I I, ho- I hope he proves me wrong. That's yeah. what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Please prove me wrong because I win. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, I was wrong, but I got a much better thing than what I was expecting. So totally. I'm happy to be wrong. Okay, so that being said, that that the Fantastic Four coming in uh, to the MCU is very exciting, especially if they cast well, and so it opens up a lot of possibilities. I'm just I'm I think the reason I'm excited is the actor strike is actually a good thing for me and Marvel. There's only one Marvel movie coming out next year mm-hmm. and it actually is only tangentially attached to the MCU. And that's Deadpool 3. There's no MCU movies coming out next year at all. And I think that's a good thing. Hmm. I think we could use a little breather. Yeah, you're probably right about that. And I think they need to really hunker down and solidify the work that they need to do going forward. Now, again, I'm not, I don't want to spoil anything, but the last scene in the movie, The Marvels, is leading to something that I already knew was coming, but it's now set in motion. That one scene gave me hope for that. And then the stinger opens up something else, which I'm excited to see what they do with as well. Yeah, so I'll say this. I haven't seen the Marvels. I can't comment on its quality. It unf- it, it is bombing right now at the box office, which it, I do not wish upon it, 
but it is it is a real thing that's happening right now. The last piece of MCU content that I did consume was Quantumania. It was mm. back in February, uh, which... You didn't watch Guardians 3? I did watch Guardians 3. Thank you very much. I did watch Guardians 3. Okay, so I watched that one as well, which I liked, actually. I th- felt like a return to form. Um, but I will emphasize that those are characters that are a carryover from the Infinity Saga. Um, a lot of the new MCU I've yet to really... Um, like the post infinite what do you, what do we call it? the multiverse saga is that what the sure some i think that's what it's called something like that um i've yet to really consume a lot of that content um i just uh part of it is that there's just so much now uh, there's been that has been a complaint of many people for a long time is just that there's there's way too much to consume um i don't think that's an inherent problem with the MCU, that's a me problem. I just don't. I simply don't have time to watch all the TV shows and all of the all the movies. You don't need to. Yeah. Um. So that's that's one thing, and maybe maybe I don't need to. But the other thing, in your review of the Marvels right now, all the positive stuff that you said about it, uh, wasn't even really about it. And I just find that so interesting that all most of the positive stuff that you had to say about the Marvels is about what it is going to lead to and what it makes you excited for. And I don't think you're wrong for feeling that way. I think it's a totally valid thing to say, but it's also part of the reason why I think I've felt a little bit turned off by the MCU recently. Um, The world building has always been a feature. It has always been a good thing about the universe. And I don't want to seem like I'm flip-flopping on that point now, but it has always been, I think, secondary to telling a good story now. Maybe not always, but at least in the best Marvel movies. The best Marvel movies aren't leading to something. They are the something. They are the they are the best ones. And yes, one of the movies, in this case the Marvels, has to be one of the worst ones. One of them, by definition, has to be the worst one. But I just... Quantumania gave me nothing to be excited about. Yep. Um, and I've I've just kind of felt like... I don't know. It feels a little bit more like the focus is on... The keeping the boat afloat, the boat being the MCU in this metaphor, has been the focus has been more on keeping the boat afloat than it actually has been like telling me a story worth telling. I agree. Yeah, and it, it's kind of left me a little bit turned off recently. I, there's nothing wrong with that. There's mm-hmm. post Endgame, it has been hard. It would be really hard for me to defend what the MCU has done. Yeah. With with some with some minor exceptions, like Shang Chi was really good. Uh, first two thirds. Yep, first two thirds. Um, the Hawkeye series, I had a really fucking fun time with. I uh, was Wandavision. Wandavision was yeah, and I really enjoyed that. That's probably to date the actually the only MCU show I've consumed. Um, but it was really good. It was really good. I, th- I think you would enjoy Hawkeye. Yeah, it's really fucking fun. Mm-hmm. Really fun. Uh, and Loki, the Loki ser- series, is. Fantastic. <laughs> that being said, I I will not defend MCU. I am a fan. I'm a fanboy. So I watch it because I love it. What has me excited uh, and I agree, the, the good things about the movies the Marvels is the open the, the kind of the big action scene at the front and Amon Vellani. Her in that movie is awesome. So at the end it sets up what she's going to be doing going forward. And so that has me excited as does like at the end of Iron Man 
when Nick Fury shows up and he starts talking about and putting together a team, that had me excited going forward. Sure. That that being said, Iron Man was a fucking fantastic movie. That was yeah, it was amazing. So the offers in the MCU recently have been substandard according to the bar that they set leading up to Endgame. I have hopes going forward with some of the stuff that appears to be on on the horizon. If it doesn't live up, well, too bad, so sad. It will die a slow death. Marvel needs to pick up its game because people obviously are leaving in droves. Like It was five days after its opening on cheap night in Kamloops, and their largest theater was basically empty. They got work to do. And outside of big fanboys like myself, if they want to bring back the big numbers, they got to pick up their game. They got to tell, like you said – they got to tell a story in a movie that you care about that can be a part of a larger universe. Mm-hmm. It can't be a part of the larger universe with a story you don't care about. That's what the Marvels was. I assure the story they tried to tell was a good one, but because of the villain, you don't give a fuck. And there's other parts like I, I could rip apart, but then I would end up spoiling it, and I'm not into spoiling the movie. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of problems with the movie. I had I had a good time watching it, and like I said, when I left the theater, the stinger and the final scene in the movie had me excited to see what's coming down the road. For sure. Marvel's three out of five. A two, a three, and a three. It's time to talk about something good. So we're going to talk about a movie that has been recommended to me for years has been pushed and pushed by chards for me to watch. And finally, I decided to watch it, is the 2003 Korean film, Old Boy. After being kidnapped and imprisoned for 15 years, Ode Su is released only to find that he must find his captor in five days. I had heard so many great things about this movie, Sam. Uh, and... This movie lives up to its reputation. This movie is... Um, a lot of people pay homage to this movie, especially like John Wick movies, um, Atomic Blonde, any of these uh, incredible fight films that do a one-take fight scene where the camera moves like all around them. What this one did is it has a one-take fight scene, but the camera doesn't move it doesn't swirl around the fights what it does is it's almost like a video game side scroll it is a hallway fight with the main character and a hammer against 15 other guys in a small hallway and as he moves along the camera just keeps him center screen so when he moves the camera moves with him so it felt like a video game the camera doesn't move to his front it stays side scroll the whole fight Hmm. it's done really well it is not the type of fight scene that you would see in John Wick. It is a much more realistic fight. He gets tired. He gets beaten down. He gets up. It is not a martial arts extravaganza. It is like people fighting. So the fight choreography is much more of a realistic nature than it is in an exciting John Wick type of fight. 
I can't talk about this movie too much because I will spoil what makes this movie so good. What I can say is that I can't recommend this movie enough. It is a five out of five. I'll tell you this, though. The movie for me was a four until about the last half an hour. And the climactic ending, or not even the climactic ending, the climax of the film, the, 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 the big finale, is what elevates this movie to another level. And I was blown away by what I was witnessing in all aspects of the movie. How the mystery unravels itself in this, the performance by the lead actor, um, Choi Min-sik, in this final scene is jaw-dropping. The way everything is presented to you is just so fun and enjoyable. <sighs> I, when I finished watching that movie, I was just left astounded and so happy that I had watched such an incredibly great film. It's something that I desperately want you to watch so I can talk about it. I desperately need a PFG to watch this movie so I can talk about it and spoil a lot of things. Hmm. This movie should catapult to the top of everybody's watch list. I can't stress enough on how great and enjoyable old boy is. Easy. Five out of five for me. Just checking right now to see if this is already on my watch list. I'm about 90% sure that it is. Let's see. Yeah, it is absolutely already on my watch list. Um, who do I have? I you are the third friend on my watch or on my uh, on my letterbox to has watched this. Uh, the other one's a five. The other one's a four and a half. So pretty high praise already. Who's the four and a half? A uh, friend of mine from work. Cool. Uh, yeah, guy named Richard. Yep. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I like I said I can't talk much about it because. There is a there is a mystery. He has to figure out who kidnapped him and why. Mm -hmm. So I, I can't talk about parts of the film because of that. But I look forward to the time that I can. And breaking it down with you would be uh, an absolute delight. Okay. Sounds good to me. I, I've It's been on my radar for some time. This is often floated as like one of the great foreign films. like maybe, Certainly one of the great foreign action films ever made. Yes. Yeah. Um, great foreign action film. Like... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And lastly, this was the movie I thought I had put as my most anticipated film of 2023. It's not. It is the movie that I predicted to be my number one of 2023. I think I know. That is David Fincher's The Killer. Right. After a fateful near miss, an assassin battles his employers and himself on an international manhunt he insists isn't personal. As I wrote in my review, when I wrote this, my review for this movie, I am a David Fincher fan. He is my number one favorite filmmaker. So I was pretty sure I was going to enjoy this movie. I avoided all trailers and 
basically about 99% of all production photos of this movie. So I went in perfectly blind, only knowing the basic premise of the movie. <clears throat> Since its release, I have seen incredible discourse about this film. I have seen people like myself who hail it as a masterpiece. It's got a 5 out of 5. I have seen others say it is one of the most boring films I've ever watched, and I've seen some people say I turned it off after 10 minutes. To those people, I am so sad for those people because those are the kind of people that wonder why movies like Con Air don't get nominated for Best Picture. Hmm. That was mean of me to say. What this movie is, whether it was marketed in any way, shape, or form, this is a movie about a contract killer. This is a movie about a hitman who... As you see there, it is not a spoiler. He makes a mistake on a assignment. And there are repercussions for that. And then he goes on a mission to pay back the people that tried to pay him back for messing up. This, What this movie is, it is, I think about, I would say roughly 99.9% .9 told from the very aspect of Michael Fassbender, the killer. Off the top of my head, there is one 15-second scene where he's not in it. You don't get any viewpoint from any other character except him. He narrates the majority of the film, so you're understanding what he's thinking as he goes through the process of planning out methodically his mission to get back at these people. This is a revenge film. And it's a revenge film along the same way, but not for the same reason, as John Wick. But unlike John Wick, this isn't an action movie. There's one action scene. And while it is incredibly great, this isn't an action movie. This is a movie about a process. And I've come to realize I love process movies. That's why I love Zodiac. That's why I love Zero Dark Thirty. Zero Dark Thirty is like, what is it, the last half an hour is a kind of a, like a tense kind of action movie, but not mm. really. It's the process that makes me excited. So this is basically a contract killer procedural. Procedural. Mm. It is not an action movie. I can't stress that enough. There is one action scene, and that's it. This is a movie about how a contract killer goes about doing the things that he does. I fucking ate it up. I... Loved it. Loved it. For those looking for another Hitman movie about some guy who kicks ass and can't get hurt and wears indestructible suits. Yeah, I'm looking at you, John Wick. This is not for you. You will be fucking bored. This is an insight into a homicidal sociopath's mind who thinks he's better at his job than he is. And it is fucking delightful and it is beautifully shot and our boys mostly your boys ross and resner are at the peak of their game again i need to see it <laughs> i don't i'm not much into music hmm. but i didn't know the band but if you like the smiths there's a lot well that's funny a lot of smiths music in here hmm. because that's what Fassbender's character listens to. Um, this, I gave this a five. 
this most likely will be in my top five. If it doesn't make my top five, then I've got a good fucking year ahead of me. Mm-hmm. It's in definitely in consideration for number one, but it's got some pretty stiff competition at the moment for my number one spot. Mm-hmm. But I fucking loved it. I cannot wait to watch it again. And I purposely get to watch it again because I'm still listening to my podcasts that are doing the Fincher filmography right now. I you just, got an excuse? I know. But I this is a movie this is a movie that I will rewatch consistently. Cause it's not that long. It's just a shade under two hours. Yeah. Yeah. One fifty eight. And it is a fucking delight to watch. I, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I've got man, I'm gonna have some thinking, uh, as far as uh films for number one of the year. I'm definitely going to have a tough time with this. I, I obviously have not seen The Killer yet, mm-hmm. uh, as you well know. Um, my brother texted me uh, two days ago and said we we're, were making tentative plans. Because while it is not in theaters and counts anymore, I believe... No, it's not. Uh, it, was a, it is... One night only. It's pretty much immediately on Netflix, right? Yeah. It, they released it in theaters, so it was eligible for awards. Mm-hmm. Um, Countless Film Society got the okay to, to, to release it in theater last Thursday night. One night only, the night before it came out on Netflix. Right. Uh, so, uh, while I did not get a chance, did you go to the theater for it? No. Yeah. I was recording. Right, of course. <laughs> um, I even considered saying that we should go, but I, again, was too busy. Um, I would have been tempted, but in all honesty, watching the... I love you, Counts Film Society, and love the Paramount Theater, but my first watching The Killer, I did not want to see in that theater. Mm-hmm. While the, the, the visual screen is fine, their sound quality in there is substandard. That's very, very I ha- true. I have a better sound system here at home, and I was unwilling to compromise on my first viewing of that. That's really too sad, isn't it? Like yeah. the, They are the one place in town that is – there's really – for people who don't know who may be listening who aren't from Kamloops, there's really only two movie theaters. There's the Cineplex, which is you know the capitalist corporate one. Yep. Or – there's the downtown movie theater, which goes by many names, actually, but it, you may hear it called um, Countless Film Society, may hear it called Paramount. I guess they also host the Countless Film Festival, um, simply called the Downtown Theater sometimes. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, it is the one where you go to see films like The, the Killer yeah, or the Rocky Horror Picture Show when it comes around yep. or uh, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari or, you know, uh, dare I say films <laughs> uh, yeah. as uh no, says with a capital I, f i love what they're doing and like i said they when the council film society took over they bought new projectors and put in new screens mm-hmm. but their sound system is still incredibly substandard yeah and i hope they're looking at it i i hope so i'm not i'm not putting my hopes up i'm not but um i love what they're doing i support them when i can Unfortunately, we record on the nights that they release the their, the movies that are worth watching. Mm-hmm. So if there's something obvious, we've had exceptions. We went and saw Clerks Three. Yeah. So if did. something is really jumps out. Then at did us, we record it that night? We or? did. Yeah. We went. We went and watched it, and then we came here. Right. Um, which I'm sure we could probably do again if something comes up really big. Like, I wish we'd gone to see Singing in the Rain, which would have been nice to see. What but, a great movie. <clears throat> yeah. So that being said, uh. I had a great time with the killer. I, I really appreciate what the Council of Society is doing. They do a they do a lot of really great things, promoting older movies. It, it's not on my list, but me and Mushy took our daughters to go see the Princess Bride, 
on on the Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a great time. Yeah. Um, yeah, to sort of finish my thought that I got uh, off the point from, but uh, Nick did text me and say send me an open invite for the next couple weeks, saying anytime you want to come over and watch the killers, let me know. We'll Hell do it. yeah! So I'll uh, I'll have to let you know. Hell yeah! All right, so that's what we've been watching. Uh, let's get into our main review this week, and that is the movie Contact, released July eleventh, nineteen ninety seven, directed by Robert Zemeckis, written by James V. Hart and Michael Goldenberg, based off the Carl Sagan book, uh, starring Jodie Foster, Matthew McConaughey, Tom Skerritt, and James Woods. Has a meta score of sixty two, a letterbox score of three point eight. Got nominated for one Oscar for best sound. Uh, it had a budget of $90 million, and it made $100 million in the U.S., making it the 16th highest-grossing film of the year, and grossed 171 worldwide. The plot, Dr. Ellie Arroway, after years of searching, finds conclusive radio proof of extraterrestrial intelligence sending plans for a mysterious machine. Now, generally, this is where I ask Sam to give me his spoiler-free thoughts on, on contact, but last week we had our PFG Kyle on. So I asked him for his prediction on what the plot and movie contact could be about. Let's hear that now. And I press play too soon. Okay. Uh, next week, our new miniseries begins and we are jumping ahead to 1997. We are reviewing the movie contact. Now, Usually here with Sam, I get him to have a little fun when he hasn't seen a movie for him to guess the plot. Now, Sam's not here, but Kyle is. Sure am. So Kyle has not seen Contact, and we're going on the honor system. I asked him not to look it up. He is going to try to guess the plot of the movie Contact. Okay. All right, Kyle. What is the movie Contact all about? So... To preface this, I have, I feel like, a basic understanding of potentially what it's about. And okay. I have seen the poster. Okay, the poster, there are a couple posters. So I, if you've seen one, it probably gives it away. I've seen the one with the big antenna. All right, there it is. Yeah, or satellite dish or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I feel like this movie is about first contact with aliens mm-hmm. and... Where do I want to go with it from here, though? I feel like it's about people trying to deal with that information at higher levels all the way down to researcher levels and trying to establish what this means going forward and what the intentions of the aliens are. Ooh. I like that take. I don't think personally that we see any aliens in this movie. I'm putting prediction coin on that. Okay. All right. I love it. Are you going to check this movie out? I definitely will. I guess you have to since we're going to be covering for the podcast, right? Yep. I'm, I'm, (laughs) I'm, (laughs) (laughs) all right. Kyle's prediction. Thank you, Kyle. Not too bad. Yeah. Um, a little, a little vague, but I have found, I have found myself that uh, sometimes being vague is <laughs> is a little bit better uh, for for nailing these things. Uh, yeah, well done, Kyle. Uh, I would say, you know, I give that like a solid eighty percent. Yeah, I could go with that. He, yeah, uh, dealing with 
first contact, uh, humans contacting aliens, uh, all the way from the researcher level all the way up to the top is pretty bang on. Yep. It's pretty bang on. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so, Sam, what are your spoiler-free thoughts on the movie Contact? Uh, the first thing I actually just discovered, uh, somehow I missed his name in the credits and missed his name in my research until about 30 minutes before we hit record. Um, I had no idea this was written by Carl Sagan. Oh! Uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's great. Um, I'm familiar with Carl Sagan. Um, I was not old enough to watch the TV series Cosmos. I do own the book Cosmos. Um I'm familiar with him as a science educator. I watched many Carl Sagan videos when I was in high school. I watched uh, a couple Carl Sagan videos in my brief stint in university. In particular, um, uh, he has... Uh, I've seen I've seen several clips from Cosmos. Um, never really watched the entire series. Um, but he, he is somebody that I, I deeply respect, both as a, as a scientist and as a thinker. Um, and knowing that he wrote this that is based on one of his books is uh, really no surprise actually uh because as a thinker and as a philosopher he was constantly talking about uh the link between science and the metaphysical uh talking about what it means to know that we're so small and insignificant what first contact with an alien civilization could mean for our idea of ourselves and what it could mean for the future of civilization how they would be more technologically advanced than us um and on and on and on there's a lot of ideas at play in this movie and i assume in the book as well um so i was very excited to learn that this was uh written by or that it was based on a novel written by somebody that i actually deeply respect um that being said it was not uh, it was not without its problems from a writing perspective, and we'll get into that. I think there are moments where it is maybe a little overbloated. In particular, I think um, the relationship between uh, our two leads, between uh, Palmer Jody... Palmer Joss and yeah. Ellie Arroway. Thank you. Uh, between Jodie Foster and Matthew McConaughey's characters, um, there are moments you can tell that uh, their relationship was written by a scientist. <laughs> um, I don't think they always have the best chemistry. I don't think they always have the best uh, dialogue. I think their relationship is a pretty clear weak point in the movie, and a lot of that stuff can probably be cut. However, I understand its inclusion in the movie because A, uh, it's the 90s, and you just kind of need to have the romantic B plot. It's just the way you have to do it. And uh, and also you have to include it because their conversation is a pretty or their um their conversations are a pretty important thematic point in the movie. Um, so this film, while about first contact with aliens, is largely about faith. Uh, it is about uh, uh, it, it argues that they are almost two sides of the same coin. Um, I was a little bit surprised to learn that Carl Sagan wrote this. Maybe I just have a misunderstanding of his work, but um, he has talked a lot about religion, uh, both in his books and in public. Um, and my understanding is that he he is an atheist who doesn't discount the existence of God, but certainly um, sees no evidence for it. Maybe it'd be more a- accurate to call him an agnostic. And he seems to really put his atheist character for some reason the term on blast is coming to mind i don't want to use that gen z terminology right now but he seems to really question deeply the atheist character in this movie's beliefs um which i thought was interesting and maybe i'll get into that a little bit more maybe i won't um uh i think it's really interesting the movie suggests uh kind of towards the end that 
you can have faith in things other than a god. Uh, you can have faith in yourself and in your family. Um, I, I think it, the exploration of this is really interesting, and I've honestly yet to really wrap my head around it fully. I think I'll need to, on another watch, uh, really fully start to formulate what it is the movie is trying to say, but it explores a, a lot of uh, the themes of faith in the movie. Um, Jodie Foster's character undergoes a, a religious... Uh, experience i guess you could say or spiritual experience in the movie i don't want to get too deeply into it without without spoiling um i think you know to summarize i'll say that uh i really liked how philosophical the movie was about first contact with aliens i really liked uh the visual aspects of the movie even though um you and i have talked about contact before and talked about how visually groundbreaking it was and obviously robert zemeckis is famous for being somebody who's always trying to push the new cutting edge of technology and film. It really shows here. Some of the effects haven't aged awesome, but that is kind of the case with a lot of really cutting edge tech. Um, in particular, Robert Zemeckis movies. Like when we watched Forrest Gump, uh, it was pretty clear that the insertion of Forrest Gump into scenes and the, uh, <laughs> the way that he's making historical figures appear that they're talking when they're really they're appearing to say things that they never actually said that sort of tech really aged poorly so compared to that i think uh the the cutting edge stuff in this movie is really good um but we'll, we'll get into some of the specifics of that later on really i just want to say uh mostly good matthew mcconaughey just kind of out of place unfortunately <laughs> for me he's he's kind of just not in the right movie for him i think this is still in the 90s where we're still kind of figuring out how to make matthew mcconaughey work figure out who he is as an actor and what he's suited for of all the characters in this movie he is probably best suited for the the religious character <laughs> um but i don't know something about having him opposite jodie foster just feels like such a mismatch for me um and their chemistry unfortunately is a little bit lacking uh, so, um, there is so much to like here and so much to think about, which I love in a movie. I love having to unwrap little layers, uh, to figure out what it is the filmmakers are trying to say to me and what the writer is trying to say to me. Um, but there were, there were some, th some things to kind of push back on and I'm, uh, excited to get into some of those. So Manny, I'll, uh, I'll let you take it off. I've said this before, <clears throat> pardon me, sorry. I said this before on the podcast, I actually, and a little bit of a spoiler, I'm not going to use this, but uh, a long, when this movie came out, I actually did a double feature this night. Mm. Uh, you might recall the story. I walked from my house in Valley View to downtown to watch this and Men in Black in the same night. That's a good double feature. It is a good double it's feature. an objectively good double feature. Yeah. So <clears throat> I saw Men in Black first at the old Cineplex downtown, and then I walked a block down to the Paramount Theater and watched Contact. This movie blew me away, and ever since then, it's been a constant rewatch for me. I have enjoyed this movie from day one. I agree wholeheartedly uh, that Jodie Foster and Matthew McConaughey lack any type of romantic chemistry at all, and his inclusion in the film, I think it's a poor casting decision. I would have to actually, I, sadly, I've actually never really put much thought into who would be a good person in that role. But 
that role is required because it does give us the dichotomy of faith and science. Yeah. He, the characters need It's needed. not an easy part to cut. It's not. So uh, you were mentioning they're still trying to figure out where Matthew McConaughey fits. This is what he, f- I'm almost positive he follows up A Time to Kill with, which is what launched his, launched him into superstardom. This was his follow-up. Uh, he did pass on a movie to do this movie, um, which I'll get into later on in trivia. That's a movie I don't think you've seen. But if I was, if Matthew McConaughey is to be in this movie, this is where he needs to be. I don't see him in any, in any of the other roles. I think Jodie Foster is magnificent. Honestly, is she ever bad? Like I, I honestly can't. She's think. really incredible in the movie. There's, there's one scene that will be in contention for one of my favorite scenes with the performance. Like, like I'm getting chills thinking about it right now. Yeah. Borderline uh, moving me to tears. Yeah. We'll get into that one for sure. I've always, I've always enjoyed this movie and I was explaining earlier today and, and you know, I, I try my best to not sound super pretentious or anything like that. But I think there is a, 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 a very difference. This movie is a science fiction film, not a sci-fi film. Mm-hmm. Whereas Men in Black is a sci-fi film, not a science fiction film. Mm-hmm. And what we generally mean with that, in my opinion, science fiction films make you think and there's not – while there can be action stuff going on, the movie is more about the idea of the movie and how do you think? What would you do? How do you – how would you handle this situation? Whereas a sci-fi film is all about let's have a really great time, some stunning visual effects, we'll have a great time, and may pose some questions to you, but you're not going to move, you're not going to leave the theater wondering what would you do. Whereas movies like this, you what you are wondering what would you do. Similar to Coherence, Coherence is a science fiction film, and I I was I know for one thing I wouldn't leave the fucking house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck man. <laughs> It was like the one thing that they are the one piece of information they know for a fact is that leaving the house is a bad idea. That's the one piece of information that they fucking have in that movie. Uh, oh, you think uh, we should leave the house? <laughs> uh, this Fuck. this is a movie I was really looking forward to discussing with. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on uh, aspects of this film. So let's get into it. We're going to spoil the movie Contact. Three, two, one. Ha, go fuck yourself. Sam? Where are you starting with? I actually don't have a lot until... I'm realizing that all five of my scenes are actually like way late in the movie. Do you want to know what's awesome? Hmm. Four of mine are at the beginning. Okay, yeah, go ahead. That's really cool. Okay. It's possible that you may have... like. I really subdivided a few of these, and I'm kind of wishing that I hadn't. A couple of these you may have rolled into one, but you you go ahead. Uh, All right. So my first scene is the first scene. It's the opening shot of the movie. Right. Okay. So this – we have talked about this before. Um, I, of course, am familiar, I think – with the, I've seen the shot homage. Have you? I've seen the shot homage. You've seen the shot homage. I've seen it homage. I've never seen the actual shot, I don't think. Um, I actually paused the movie – uh, when the radio static kicks in, I because uh, I, I I was watching it on my Amazon Fire Stick, uh, and I assumed that maybe my upstairs neighbor c- 
connected to my TV via Bluetooth or something because the edit is so jarring yes. in the sound. It's just instantly radio static and you hear radio frequencies kind of cutting in and out. I paused it. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And then it stopped when I paused the movie. So I went, okay, and I resumed it. And sure enough, it uh, it wasn't part of the movie. Um, obviously, fantastic sound design choice. Um, Manny, I, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about this uh, introductory shot because um, as you've told before, it this is right near the beginning of the CG era. Yeah, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, it's ninety seven. So this is four years after Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. three years after Forrest Gump. This is Robert Zemeckis' follow up to Forrest Gump. Right. So CGI is starting to be integrated into films a lot more um, hmm, freely, and they're starting to integrate it a lot more. There are full disclosure. There are there's one more scene with CGI in it coming forth in, in another one, and I'm going to use another scene to display a thing of CGI. When CGI was coming at this point, I still wasn't used to thinking that CGI could enhance a movie in regards to the way a camera can move. I was still thinking of CGI as creating things that couldn't possibly exist. A la dinosaurs in Jurassic, um, Jurassic Park, the ter- uh, the T one thousand and Terminator two, and things like that. So Zemeckis's use of CGI in this movie, in particular in the next scene I'm going to discuss, are what truly blew me away and left me for years wondering how the fuck did he do that. This is the opening scene of. We start with a shot of Earth, and I'm going to use a word I used earlier tonight. You are hit with a cacophony of sound, and it is uh, a bunch of music being played. The camera starts to pull back, and as the camera pulls back away from Earth out into space, the farther away from Earth we get, the older the music and the transmissions we're hearing get, signifying that the further away from Earth you get, it is showing you how far these sounds that we have transmitted through radio waves out into space have traveled so as we move backwards the songs and transmissions get older until finally we hit silence but the shot continues in silence for i think another full minute it just continues to pull back showing these beautiful what are most likely theoretical images of space we leave the milky way galaxy we see other galaxies, we see super galaxies, continues to pull back until it emerges from Ellie Arroway's eye. It is a breathtaking opening to a movie that in the theater left me speechless. I like had my hands on my seats just like, what the fuck did I just see? Mm-hmm. I think it is a excellent opening to a film and it's one of the, in all honesty, this and the next scene are one are the are two main reasons I wanted to discuss this film mm-hmm. just because of purely film, filmmaking perspective. Yeah. So, uh this is easy to write off for somebody who uh came to this after the fact, but write off is not the right word. Even even with 25 I believe years of hindsight, um this is still a very iconic and breathtaking shot. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. So even 
even with CG where it is now, you know, we're now in the MCU era where, you know, everything is CGI. Uh, even with that, this is a a great indication of using CGI for a storytelling purpose. Um, there is no better shorthand way that I can think of, or really that anybody could think of, I think, no better shorthand way to show us two very important things that we'll need to know for this movie. One is the scope of the universe. Well, I guess three, because one's the scope of the universe. One is the current reach of our radio uh uh what's the word i'm looking for our radio signal i guess i think i think it's actually called the radio sphere uh the reach of the radio sphere right now um how far our radio signals have reached in space those are two very important concepts Mm -hmm. that are told completely silently and are communicated to the audience completely silently out of the gate and a third is just the motivation of our main character uh the zoom out of her eyeball um will foreshadow her obsession with space and the unknown and figuring out why um there's it's not just a beautiful visual it's also a powerful visual shorthand to let us know tons of information actually Mm -hmm. in a very in a very concise way um so even though i was kind of aware generally of this scene's existence um i i still was blown away by it could is it marred by the fact that it's 25 years old with CGI? I still think it looks great, personally. I'm sure it could be made to look better now with today's I, technology. I but, would probably be even more blown away by if they redid this shot with today's technology. Yeah, but that I don't think the film should lose points for that nope. because technology has advanced so much in its, uh, you know, uh, in the years since. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm happy we got to talk about this. Okay, and I'm I'm sure we'll. Uh, I'm I'm actually kind of blanking on what the other shot you want to talk about is. Okay, so here it is. It's the very next scene from very next scene from my pick. It's not the very. Oh, next okay. Scene. It's not the next scene in the film. In that case, I do know the shot. I just thought you were saying it was the next scene. No, in the movie. I mean okay. I, what I mean is the next scene that I wanted to talk about. Got it. Okay, then that, I do know the scene. It's Ellie's dad's death. Yeah. You've described this to me. Yes. I've never seen this, but you've described this scene to me a couple of times. Okay. So prior to our recording, I told Sam that I have a very long section of the movie that I'm going to read verbatim out of something else, and this is the scene I'm talking about. Okay. So I'm going to read, not quite yet now, but I'm going to read how they did this shot. When I saw this, let me set up the scene. We've traveled, not even traveled back in time. We're having a flashback of Ellie's last moment with her dad. They are about to watch a meteor shower. Now we haven't heard yet. We haven't heard yet that Ellie's father was encouraged to encourage Ellie in the realm of science because she was, I guess, assessed to have an affinity for it. But what this scene shows us is that in prior, when she is on her ham radio and her dad is encouraging her complimenting her she's transmitted all the way down to florida pensacola florida and here we see them in trying to enjoy a meteor shower together played by jenna malone absolutely fantastic as a young jodie foster we hear the thump and she kind of hears it i have watched this movie a few times since becoming a father this scene still 
hits a little harder than it did prior to me having a daughter. She shows genuine concern. She keeps calling for her dad. But in one instance, just before she gets to the top of the stairs, she says, Daddy. And it fucking almost kills me every time. Because she keeps going, Dad? Dad? And then she goes, Daddy? Nope. <laughs> nope. Almost makes me cry every time. She sees down the stairs her dad has collapsed. We learn quickly in this scene, right in this moment, that he has had he has heart problems because she's, I will go get the medicine. And this is where my mind is fucking blown. It took me years to figure out how they did this shot. It is very hard to describe in an audio podcast, but I've tried my best. We get a point of view of the camera as a young Ellie Arroway is running towards the camera in slow motion. I always want to say follow, but it doesn't follow. It leads. It leads her up the stairs, down a hallway, towards a medicine cabinet. As we see this shot, as she continues to run towards the camera, suddenly her hand reaches out and a hand from off screen reaches up and we realize we've been looking in a mirror the whole time. I could not grasp how they did this shot. Again, you have to remember CGI was new, and I was unaware of them using it to, to improve filmmaking techniques. I was just more thinking they were using it to create things we couldn't see, a la Men in Black, the aliens, and things like that. I never thought that they would use CGI in camera work, and it fucked me up. This is pre-internet, so I couldn't Google how did they do that shot. I had to research, I had to find interviews, I had to find magazines, and it took me about two years to finally find out how they did this. Actually, no, it took me just over a year when it was released on DVD, and they finally showed me. I'm going to read for you what they did. I know it sucks, but this is my only chance to do it. This doesn't suck. I'm on the edge of my seat over here. I want to know. Okay. Um, what appears to be a continuous shot is, in fact, two shots and one still plate. These three elements come together with the help of a blue screen located on the bathroom cabinet where the mirror should be. In shot A, the camera is pointed at Ellie as she runs up the stairs and down the hallway. It ends with her extending her hand towards the non-existent cabinet handle. An operator with a Vista Vision camera strapped to his chest ran backward down the hallway tracking Malone. Our camera operator, who is also a great steady cam operator, had to keep running up those stairs with Malone over and over until he was dying. Oof. The slow motion effect, which begins once Ellie reaches the upper landing, was achieved by ramp ramping up the frame rate. According to Sheena Duggle, the, com uh, the compositing supervisor, the focus puller had to be painted out of the entire shot. No small feat in 1996. In shot B, the camera points towards the blue screen on the cabinet and pulls back, matching the tracking speed in shot A. This movement sync between the two shots is a huge part of why the effect seems seamless. The smooth transition between shot A and shot B gives the impression that we are always impossibly moving backward in one continuous motion. When Ellie slow runs through the doorway of the bathroom, as she passes through, the handle of the bathroom cabinet emerges from the lower left corner of the frame. However, because our focus is on Ellie, 
The peripheral cabinet handle reads like a doorknob, perhaps the doorknob of the open bathroom door. In any case, Ellie grabbing that knob feels unexpected. What's going on in that moment is a genius sleight of hand. The edge of the cabinet door is emerging as the camera is pulling away from the blue screen. It's a reveal of a second shot that never feels like a reveal of a second shot. As the camera keeps zooming out, we find ourselves behind Ellie, whose hand emerges from the right to open the cabinet and grab the pills. She exits the frame and the cabinet door swings shut, revealing a reflection of a photograph elsewhere in the bathroom. Keep in mind, this is a fake mirror. So the reflected shot with the photograph isn't really there. Neither are the finger smudges or the distortion created by the mirror's beveled edge as the cabinet swings open and shut. Another cool detail, if you keep your eyes on the reflection as shot B, Ellie opens the cabinet, you can see that the camera operator from shot A panned away to mimic the movement of the hinged cabinet door. On a technical level, shots A and B never turn from one shot into the other. But narratively, the two shots trade off. Their hold on what the audience considers reality versus reflection when Ellie reaches the mirror. As Ellie reaches out for the handle, you can tell the distance between her real hand in shot B and her reflected hand in shot A doesn't quite look right. Some of the fingers were even reconstructed digitally, according to Dougal. In, in any case, most folks aren't looking at Jenna Malone's hand placement during the shot, let alone her fingers. They're trying to collect their jaws up off the floor because they just witnessed a camera pass backwards through a mirror. The line about the opening ceremony of the... Oh, nope, that's not what... And that's, that's all it there. That's another thing that should be on there. Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. I was wondering why that was so long. I'm like, it didn't feel that long. That shouldn't be there. That is that is quite the feat. Yes, that is that is really nice. It fucked me up in theaters. I was they literally saying jaw dropped. That was me. I was astounded. I can't imagine having that occupy my consciousness for two years. I am the kind of person who can obsess over things like this. I'm the kind of person who just like if a if a problem enters my mind. I just have to solve it instantly, mm-hmm. and I will not stop working until I solve it. Um, I can see that driving me insane. It it it, it, it killed me, Sam. It fucking killed me. Mm. Uh, I and I was so ecstatic when they uh, described it in the director's commentary, and I think there might have been a small featurette on it on the DVD, on the DVD, and I it was such a huge weight off my shoulders. Later on, I'm, I'm just throwing this in here because it's part of the. The CGI work that blew my mind that, again, I couldn't fathom CGI being used to enhance a story like this. If you remember, her dad dies. They have the wake, the funeral. She goes up to the ham radio and tries to contact her dad. Yeah. The camera pulls away from her sitting at the radio. Through a window. Through a door. Oh, yeah. I could not understand how they did that. Not even thinking the door isn't real. It's CGI. I, for a year, tried to figure out how they did it. Is it a collapsible door? Is it I, – I couldn't figure it out, and it bothered me because, again, I just never thought that they would use CGI for that, and it mm. blew my fucking mind. That is pretty crazy. Yeah. That is pretty crazy. 
Yeah. I it seems so obvious in retrospect now, but yeah. I mean, I sitting in this chair have known nothing but CGI in movies. Like my entire existence, CGI has been a possibility for anything. Yep, for anything you see in a movie, it's a possibility that it's not real. And I've had to learn to question that. And you had to learn to question that. But after already having lived your life as a human being watching a movie for t- probably t- 20-ish years um, without having to even think about that possibility. Yep. That's pretty wild. Yeah. It was – I won't lie. Like, I, as infuriating as it was I was that I wasn't able to figure it out, it filled me with such joy. Mm-hmm. I, I loved it. It was like it, it was literally the magic of movies, and I had a great time with it. It's like when you see, I mean, like when you see a magic trick. Uh, uh, to I, to paraphrase the Prestige, you you don't really want to know how they did it. I mean, in our case, you do, but uh, the the wonder of it is that is the thing. It's not really about how they did it. It's it is the the magic of it is the how the fuck did they do that? Yep, that's the that's the thing you pursue. I just watched The Prestige as well. Did you? Yeah. Fuck, I love that movie too. <laughs> I told you, I've watched 12 movies, dude. Yes. Over so, 12. Man, that, that's that been a while for a rewatch for me. Um, yeah, I watched that for the first time like when it came out, when I was like 10 or 11, and I fucking loved it. Yeah. I fucking loved it. Me and Mushy watched that, it. That made me fall in love with Christopher Nolan. Watching uh, Batman Begins and The Prestige at a very young, impressionable age, that was so formative for me. I could understand why. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> Uh, okay, my my next scene uh, is Ellie hears a radio sound. Yeah, I'm still keep going. Okay, the fucking sound rules. Yeah, I fucking love the sound that they have for the radio transmission. Uh, the close up on Jody's face, they close in right up on her eyes. Yeah, her eyes are framing, or they're they're touching the frame. Yes, and her realization of what she hears is awesome. Uh, Jody Foster's absolutely brilliant in this scene. The tension and excitement of this discovery is palpable by the three characters in the scene. I love uh, I love the tracking shot of her getting out from the car, following her all the way up into the lab. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love that shot. Always, every time, I try to see if I can catch a glimpse of the camera crew in the glass doors as she's opening and closing them. But Have they been digitally removed? They might have been, but uh, I, I don't know if they were, but uh, it's brilliantly done. The I love that they show that they try to disprove the signal. Like, tell me it's that, NORAD. It's that's NORAD. science. Yeah, it's that's all, what you do, man. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, wow, we found something. Okay, pro- let's, let's prove ourselves wrong. Mm-hmm. And I love it because that also sets up what happens at the end for sure and it is absolutely brilliant they they lose the signal they think it's gone but what it's done is it's just started its next cycle and that's where they figure out it's all prime numbers uh this this was so exciting uh again in the theater the first time it still excites me now her excitement that literally her lifelong work appears to be coming to fruition is palpable from Jodie Foster. She is incredible in this movie, and this is just one of. This is a minor moment. This isn't. This isn't an Oscar moment. This is just a long line of incredible moments from her in this movie, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a scene I've always loved. Yeah, um, I there is a lot to like about this. It is so fast paced and so breakneck. There's so much technical jargon. 
uh, in this just being thrown at you. Um, it is established early on. And one of the things I like about this movie and the writing of Carl Sagan is that he's so authentic. He is really a scientist first, for better or for worse. Um, so they're saying things like hydrogen times pi is the frequency, which is not mumbo jumbo. That is really it, the atomic weight of hydrogen times pi would be a perfect thing to send out to another um to another civilization to indicate hello we are here and we are intelligent we know what these numbers are because they are numbers that another intelligent civilization might have independently discovered um i i will another brief aside if i can on carl sagan here you fucking fly out of is dude. that he i'm just remembering now um oh i wish i could remember the name of the thing um there is some mission um to create uh there, there was a gold record created and sent into space uh, containing a number of sounds of human civilization and um, I think some inscriptions on a plaque of some kind. Um, I think also on gold because gold doesn't, uh, it takes forever to rust or something. It takes like a super long time to rust. Um, and they needed to figure out what written things they could send to another civilization to maybe one day discover and what sounds they could put on a disc to one day discover. And one of the scientists on the, team to establish what those sounds and inscriptions would be was Carl Sagan. Um, and he, uh, so it, it makes perfect sense to me that he includes details like this in this script where, uh, you know, the specific numbers that they use, the specific sequences of numbers that they use, the fact that they're coming up with uh, prime numbers and they include all that in the movie is just, is just delicious for me. It's just, <laughs> it's just, I'm sure there are people who don't care about it. I'm sure there are lots of people who do care about it also. But you don't need to include that in the movie. But I'm so glad that he did because it adds such an authority to it. Like, it adds such a realism to it. Mm -hmm. Of course, a lot of the specific technical mumbo-jumbo in this particular scene is way over my head. I have, I have no idea what's going on with it. Her recalibrating, this, uh, her calling the specific coordinates of the dishes her recalibrating them and just screaming into this walkie-talkie as she's driving along is intentionally very chaotic. Um, and we get this awesome effect where she's screaming at them. She puts the walkie down. She walks into the office. They're still screaming. They're panicking. They're frantic. And then the signal stops and it's silent. There's nothing for what feels like forever. I would guess it's probably about 20 seconds. Yeah. I was going to say 15. Yeah. It's somewhere in there, um, and she's just about to turn the signal off because they've lost it, and then it starts back up again. Um, really, really well-directed scene. Uh, I actually am maybe wondering if I should have included this in mind, but it's uh, it, it's a, a very, very, very good scene, um, and a, uh, an, an inciting incident, uh, exciting and inciting incident uh, for, for the movie moving forward. All right. My next scene is the exact next scene. Tell everyone. We get our introduction to James Woods, the <laughs> uh, the horrible Tom Skerritt makes his second appearance. Mm -hmm. uh, absolute fucking dick. Um, we get a whole lot of exposition in this scene, but it doesn't feel dumb mm -hmm. because James Woods' character doesn't know anything. He's not a scientist. He is, what is he, Secretary of Defense? I can't remember what he is to the president. I guess the Department no national of security advisor because it's, mm. they're talking about national security. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, the Department of Homeland Security didn't exist yet. Nope, not yet. <laughs> uh, so he doesn't. He's not a scientist, so he needs to be filled in. So we get to learn 
the intricacies of what exactly happened in the previous scene without being told it. It's a really great scene to explain everything without it feeling unnecessary or forced upon us. Mm-hmm. James Woods is so great in this movie. Drumlin is such a prick. Mm-hmm. He is a fantastic antagonist in this movie, played by Tom Skerritt. Um, I love that we set up once again that Ellie is unafraid to stand up for herself. She is standing literally in the face of the government, and she's not afraid to tell everyone the way things are. Like, he... Woods tries to start asking her questions, and she tells him, you can remove those military personnel. This is a public place. And Woods, you know, acquiesces to her uh, request, and then he tries to ask her again, but then Kent shows up, and she completely ignores him. Mm -hmm. And then they start going on something else, Great use of the sound design as Drumlin and Woods and Ellie are having a conversation, but Kent is trying to listen to the radio waves where he discovers that there is a visual signal piggybacking on it. And they start to isolate it. They hook it into a TV. They start trying to find out what it is. They start to clear up the picture. And the first visual thing we see back is a swastika. (laughs) And then they pan out. And then they play extra audio, and it is our old friend, Adolf Hitler, <laughs> opening the ni- friend, 1938 uh, Summer Olympics. And James Woods' delivery of, okay, is gold. Tiny nitpick. Okay. Tiny thing here. Uh, Ellie Arroway is a, uh, is a woman who has spent her entire life wondering and dreaming about the cosmos Mm -hmm. about what else could be out there about our interaction with those things she's been preparing her entire life for this moment she's been using telescopes she's been using radios she's been using radio telescopes for the better part of her life this is what she does and she is the best person in the world for this the first thing that she says when seeing that they sent an image of adolf hitler is does anybody speak German? As if she doesn't know that the first radio transmission sent from Earth to space is this broadcast. Mm. The implication in this line, maybe I'm reading it differently than it's intended, but the implication in this line is that is is of confusion from Ellie. That's the emotion I'm getting from her. Is what is what is this? Sort of. She should know what this is. She's studied this field her entire life. Hmm. Okay, I don't. Yeah. I don't have a response to that. That <laughs> never yeah. occurred to me. Yeah, there was. And I've watched this for twenty five years. Does anybody speak German? I was like, you don't need to speak German. You know what he's saying. You know what this broadcast is. You are a. You are a scientist who you know what this clip is. <laughs> anyway, maybe maybe that's a maybe that's a small thing. I. <laughs> I, I I desperately want to push back on it. Yeah. But I don't have anything to back up me pushing back on it. Mm-hmm. So I, I just have to accept your idea on it i guess fair enough, fair enough. yeah you I don't have nothing. to accept anything you don't want to it is just it is just it, how i feel it is a, a nitpick you have <laughs> it's the first i've ever heard of it because i don't think of that in, yeah. in 25 years <laughs> that's fair enough in, an interesting idea yeah. all right uh i don't have anything until the basically almost the very end 
Uh, I have the the first the first uh, thing that I have. The first scene that I have is the hearing where she's asked if she believes in God. Okay, nope. All you. Uh, uh, I. It's again Foster's acting in the scene that really makes it. Um, Palmer, I understand his motivations for asking this question, but I hate him for asking it still because. Um, both in the 90s and even today in the American political climate, being an atheist is is not a popular thing. Nope. It is not a popular thing. Or even being an agnostic is not a popular thing. I was, not not, not to cut you off, mm-hmm. I was listening to another podcast today about this movie, and someone brought it up, so I'm, I'm, I'm quoting their research. Sure. But according to studies uh, in the United States, you, people are, will, People are more prone to elect anyone of any religion over an atheist. Yes, I've heard the same figures. They they will elect a Muslim over an atheist mm-hmm. because at least they believe in something. Think of how much America hates Muslims and, I mean, insert any religion that isn't Christianity mm-hmm. and also Christianity, depending on who you ask. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but seriously, that's that's an incredible Incredible figure. I and honest, I've heard the same one. I, I, I'd actually never heard that until today. Mm-hmm. And I am blown away by that. I like to think that uh, Canada is a little more enlightened than that. I don't know how much, uh, I don't want to say faith, how much uh, belief I have in that. But I don't feel that can I don't feel that Canada is very religious. No. Like, not to say that we don't have people that believe. I think, I think a lot of people do believe. I just don't think they're rigid in their beliefs. When I think of uh, our fed- our leaders on a federal level and our leaders really on any level, I don't ever remember a Canadian government official making a reference to God. Yeah. I don't ever remember that happening. Mm. Not one time. And I don't think I, th- I think Americans would be would be pretty amazed to hear that. Yeah, is my guess. But uh, anyway, yeah. So uh, Palmer knows that this is. He knows this is the nail in the coffin. He knows he has this ace up his sleeve if he if he really wants to play it. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of a shitty thing to do, if I'm being honest. I agree and disagree at the same time. It is a selfish thing. Is that a fair thing to say? I agree and disagree at the same time. <laughs> I, think, I think it is a selfish thing to do. He reveals one motivation for it. He... Uh, says that why he did this was ostensibly because uh, because he didn't want somebody representing his country who thinks that 95% of them are chumps. Yes. And I'm sure that is partially true. I'm sure there is truth to that. It is. I, mm-hmm. It is. Because mm-hmm. because I've seen this movie countless more times than you, yeah. he does reveal the other reason as well. Which is that... Uh, he doesn't want her to go. He doesn't want her to go, which is fair. But I also hate that. Yes. I hate it a yes. little bit. <laughs> I, I've always hated it. Yeah. I, I agree with you 100%. Uh, and that's why I agree and disagree. I agree that him asking this question is a shitty thing to do because he knows it's going to sink her. He mm-hmm. knows it is. Yeah. So it's a shitty thing to do. To You, you are purposely torpedoing somebody's dream that you love that you love but love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, we can get into that i'm gonna get into that later but but he is correct that is a question you should answer because like they say sterling about at least the stat they had in 97 97 of the planet believe in a higher being and if you're sending one person to represent the world as best as possible they should not be part of that three percent yeah, and honestly, 
as as a non-believer myself as a non-believer myself i he's kind of right uh, no, he's, I, no, he's he, not wrong <laughs> no he is right yeah doesn't mean i have to like it yeah as a non-believer he is right in doing so yeah. in in the immortal words of the dude you're not wrong you're just an asshole <laughs> i can agree with that yeah. so yeah th- and that's why i said in both of those i agree and disagree i'm I'm with Ellie. I don't believe. Yeah. And so you asking that question, knowing that I don't believe, that's a dick move. It is a dick move. But it is a question that should be asked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a totally valid conversation to have. But to, to put somebody that you claim that you love in that spot is, is really shitty. You have, you have like two – you have like – you sleep with them one time and th- one time you sleep together once right, are we going into this now yeah okay i just to. want to fucking get here okay happy to you sleep together once forever ago four years four years ago you fuck once and you have both times that we've seen them talk to this point i think maybe three times i can't remember how many times we've seen them talk in this Pri- prior to this to prior the, to this pr- prior to the hearing okay so um they they sleep together she fucking ghosts him she's like thanks for the dick I've got I'm some. Out. I've got some aliens to listen to. She literally, like, not even the next morning. She's like, "Thanks for the dick. I got plans. Mm-hmm. Have go to sleep. Have some breakfast. You better and basically, you better be fucking gone when I come home." Yeah, she's not interested in little pink men. She's interested in little green men. Yeah, you know what I'm saying out. So she fucking ghosts him, which I fucking love. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Fucking rights. Yeah, he's all fucking Twitter painted. They don't see each other again. Till a few years later, when she bumps into him, uh, at at some at, well, I can't remember what it is. Then they have the meeting. Uh, then then they're together at that gala event. So so they were in like he, a, I think it's a white ho- white house. Um, is it a cabinet meeting? It's maybe? a cabinet meeting. Yeah, she sees him there. Then they go to the party. Mm-hmm. Then they have the one meeting right before the hearing where they have that walk, and he tries to figure out why is she doing this. And then he fucking torpedoes her. So th- they fuck three meetings. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and he's in love with her four years later. And he's in love with her. That's, and what, what, that's some magic pussy right what there. What bugs me even more is like, let's say that you can fall in love with somebody in three meetings. Let's say that it's a possible thing. First of all, we don't see it. Second of all, two of those conversations, maybe even maybe even all three. I can't remember. He, do you remember his pillow talk after they fuck? He's asking her questions about her dead dad. Like, dude, like, such a clear turnoff. And then after he... So they fuck. He asks her questions about her dead dad. She clearly gets a little uncomfortable with it. And he goes, oh, did I did I say something? And she, you know, he, she goes, you know what? I, I just got to go. Like, you do your thing. And she goes to him after that. He could not possibly connect the dots between him maybe saying... Maybe him overstepping a little bit. Uh, and then the f- after they meet again, and they're on the balcony at this gala, he again brings up her dead father. It's like, you know other things about her. This is a very accomplished woman in her field. You should be in awe of her intellect, of her accomplishments. Why do you want to keep dredging up her dead fucking dad? It annoys me to no end, this character, that the two opportunities he's been given to speak with, uh, with Ellie in, in confidence— he just he plays the dead dad card both times. It is astoundingly stupid. <laughs> yeah, I. But what I do, what I do love, because now we're talking about a scene we're not talking about. Yeah. But like when he talks about the dead dad on the balcony, I 
I do love that it's a, I just fucking lawyered you. Hmm. You tried, you want me to prove there's a God. Mm-hmm. I want you to prove you love your dad. Mm-hmm. Lawyered. Yeah. I do like that moment as shitty as it is. Cause yeah. I, I am on Ellie's side. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> good point. You're still a dick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, that has bothered me. Like this is clearly a sore spot for her and he's brought it up multiple times. Yep. And I just think it's, I just, I just think it's explains why they're, crossing the line. Explains by spoiler. They're not together. <laughs> I, I'm just going to say this right now. Uh, since we're talking about Palmer Joss, mm-hmm. I'm just going to use this moment to really actually praise the writers. I love that they don't end up together. Mm-hmm. The last shot in the movie, he's not in it. She is by herself. Yeah, I fucking love that. Just want to say that. That's great. Yeah. Um, I will say that the name Palmer Joss sounds like something that Matthew McConaughey gave himself. There's, <laughs> like, if you ask Matthew McConaughey to come up with a name for this character, he's like, I'm Palmer Joss. I'm a, I'm a priest, but I can still fuck. <laughs> Pretty sure it's in the book, but it's all good. no. But like, that's what it sounds like. I'm sure it is, but you know, it's what it sounds like to me. Anyway, that's. Where the fuck were we again? Oh, oh yeah, no, we're, we're on the hearing. The hearing, yeah. Um, or the that, inter- hearing? Interview? Whatever. I don't know what it is. I, I, I have it referred to as a hearing. I don't know if that's the actual legal term for it, but that's, that's what I referred to it as. Anyway, um, it actually is a very good scene with Jodie Foster's acting in it and her, again, obvious discomfort at uh, Matthew McConaughey bringing up this thing she clearly doesn't want to talk about. There's a theme here, I'm sensing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's that's. I think I've said uh, my piece about, about that one if you have nothing else to add yourself. No, I'm good. I'm good. I believe the next one I have is the security breach at the test. I'm so glad you picked this one. Not on my list. Yeah. Who I meant to research this. Who is this actor? Uh, it is uh, shit. It's uh, Gary Busey's kid. Uh, um, okay. Who you saw in Starship Troopers? <sighs> Jake Busey. Jake Busey. God Thank damn you. It. Where else do I know you? I know you from something else. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he had a he had a big role in Starship, a large supporting role in Starship Troopers, mm-hmm. and I think he's in one other movie that we've done, but I I don't have his filmography up right now. Yeah, I don't recognize anything on it. Okay, why don't you talk about the scene? I'll take a look and see if I can figure yeah. out what it is. He's in Roadhouse Two. <laughs> that's a that's a definite thing. Um, yeah, so the security breach for the test uh, is is ramped up uh, very well. The foreshadowing of us seeing this character multiple times and looking right at, uh, looking right at Jodie Foster, uh, is very nerve wracking. So the filmmaker, uh, uh, Robert Zemeckis does a good job of making sure that we, the audience recognize this character so we can instantly recognize that something is wrong. Um, for an alien machine, uh, one little bomb is able to bring it down pretty good. Uh, it's definitely, uh, definitely a fragile piece, but. Uh, this is this is pretty horrifying, and um, another moment where CG is used pretty prominently in the movie, and if I'm being honest, is uh, pretty noticeable, is the shots of the machine from afar. Oh, yes. Yeah. And especially I... the collapse. Um, not saying that as particularly a fault, just, you know, an observation. Uh, but it is a very tense scene, and the moment where we reveal that there is somebody here who is intending ill is a great moment. Now... The real reason I wanted to include include this scene is just because of a line. I don't think I actually have it written down, but there's there's such a good line uh, that he says. Um, so they they arrest the guy after the uh, after the machine gets blown up. He says something like, 
the oh yeah here it is the apocalypse to come will vindicate our faith um and i like that carl sagan uh and i i haven't given any credit to um uh, James V. Hart and Michael Goldenberg, who are actually the screenwriters. I do like how they include this as... Uh, they include this as sort of a flip side to faith. Because mm -hmm. the, the film is very pro-faith. The film is very it's very much advocating that you need to have faith in something. Even if that thing isn't a god, you need to be able to believe in something that you can't totally see in order to be a, a fully fleshed out human being. Yep. Um, but they're also showing you, like, yeah, faith can do these amazing things, and we can advance further as a society, but it can also do this. These people who blew this up, they're, they're convinced. This, this man is convinced that he's doing the work of, I presume, God, um, or whatever being it is that he serves. Uh, he's, he's convinced that he's doing the right thing, and he doesn't have empirical evidence of that either, but he takes it on faith, and he believes it in his heart. Um, so it's, it's showing you that... Uh, faith can be very much double-edged sword it can be uh it can be a tool used for good it can be a tool used for evil um i i like the inclusion of that in in the film for i sure. like that yeah. i like that theme i actually never really pieced that together mm -hmm. so i really appreciate that thank you yeah uh where else do we have to go from here uh talked about the hearing and the security breach next i have is going through the tunnel that's why i have ellie goes on a trip yes yes she does <laughs> uh so i'll full disclosure I have all of this as one scene. I have from this to the beings. I I cut it off to her. For me, the scene ends right before the beach. Yeah. Okay. If, I, if you if you want to include the beach, you won't hear me complain. I have separate scenes. I have okay. I have the trip. I have the beach. Okay. Because I th I think they are separate scenes. Mm -hmm. But I have from the moment she's walking the gangplank until she sees. The anomaly before she floats down. That is one scene. Wow. Okay. I'm stretching. Do you? Okay. In that case, why don't uh, why don't you lead off? Then? Okay. So, um, while that faraway shot of the I don't even know, the accelerator, I guess is what we'll call it. Sure. Um, at I would assume it's Houston. Or okay. So the faraway shots in there, I agree. They they don't hold up. Am I right? Cape, Cape Canaveral. Cape Canaveral. Okay. They don't quite hold up. They're not unbelievable. I can tell you right now in 97, look fantastic, mm -hmm. right? Again, it, 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 it's great for what it is. What I did love in this, in this scene is she's walking the gangplank into her thing. When she looks down, it's, you can still, you can kind of see the seams on the CG being incorporated with her, but I still think it holds up pretty well. I'm of the generation who grew up with the invention of CGI, so I can appreciate I can appreciate. Sounds bad. I can appreciate what we would now consider bad CGI. Hmm. So I love seeing that shot. I think it still holds up for people of your age or even younger that would see it and be like, "Oh my god, that doesn't look believable." I can't argue against it. It it didn't take me out of the movie. I mean, I did look at it and go, "Well, that'd probably be better today," and then forgot yeah. about it. Uh, it's established just before this scene that they have installed a chair into the sphere for safety reasons. I've always felt that the way that her armor plate clicks into the back of the chair, that cannot be comfortable. No. It is rigid. It is literally like she is like she is strapped in. It's not like a seatbelt. She's literally like I would assume magnetized 
or clicked in somehow. Looks, it looks like magnets to me. And I'm just like, there's no way, like you can't shift around at all. Mm-hmm. I was like, that would be so uncomfortable. Uh, when the door or the hatch is closed, uh, it seals. And I love, it's not explained. It looks like magic, but you know, like they say in Thor, what we think is magic is just science we haven't discovered yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always love that. Another moment of where Jodie Foster shows us her excellence in acting, as she is playing the nervousness, the nervousness of the moment, but her anticipation of doing so is still on the surface. So she's nervous, unsure of what she is, but while she's nervous, she's not scared. She's unsure of what's to come, but her anticipation is high. And I loved her being able to work that dichotomy, dichotomy uh, in the in the scene. The slow buildup of the launch, they keep saying at the percentage uh, uh, as it goes up, the communication starts to cut out to increase the tension. We know that she's okay, but they don't know she yeah. is on the I'm outside. I'm okay to go. Is that the? I'm okay to go. Yeah. Um, they almost abort. <clears throat> Don't know the actor's name. I wonder if I can grab it here. Uh, let's see if I can quickly grab it. No, there. No. If you can give me the name, I can see if I can find it. I can't see it. It's the it's the guy. It's the Ed Harris role from Apollo thirteen. Mm. But he's the he's the black guy. I love that he's wearing a vest similar to Ed Harris's character from <laughs> Apollo thirteen. Yeah, nice. Uh, the they almost abort. Uh, Kent can hear her uh, and tells her that they're okay to go. They do the launch. This wormhole sequence, spectacular in the movie theater at the time. This wormhole sequence now doesn't quite hold up because we've seen such an mm, advancement of CGI technology where things are much more photorealistic. But in 1997, sitting in the movie theater and watching her travel through this wormhole uh, was breathtaking. I love when she gets to Vega and then is jaw dropped to realize that's just a pit stop. It's not even the final destination. She looks up. She sees another machine before being whisked away. Mm-hmm. And I love that that subverts what we were expecting in the movie itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, she keeps recording and documenting it like a good scientist would. She is excited and not she's she's excited but not to the point of being overwhelmed by what she's experiencing despite her being the first human to ever do so. She is doing what a scientist does. She doesn't know if she's transmitting, but the best she can do is to just verbally document everything as best she can in the hopes that this is recording plays in major later on honestly uh keeps the audience interested as well i think this is a very wise creative decision because a it is what would actually happen it's true to character she would do this and b even though it winds up not mattering i.e like it doesn't record anything that she says um it it does keep us invested Her, her narration gives us an insight into what she's feeling and not even necessarily through what she's saying but like the shakiness of her voice and the emotion behind it is really good it's similar to uh, Matt Damon's video logs in The Martian. Yes. Very nice. The 
she i love that at one at another basically pit stop uh she we see a civilization for a brief moment and then she's off again uh the shaking i love that she's proven right yeah that she's like there was no indication of a chair yeah i think it wasn't needed yeah it wasn't needed and uh her compass that she was given by some random dude four years ago from a cracker jack box she happened to hold on to uh i love that as soon as she uh, gets out of the chair to try to retrieve it and the chair breaks away immediate peace Mm -hmm. immediate peace everything is silent uh and it's so calming because that sound effect there's the the oscar nomination for sound that rattling is discomforting yes It, it 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 was i was like uh and then as soon i always i always anticipate the moment when it breaks away and and like and like smashes against the wall hmm. i'm like ah. it's a moment of relief yeah um and then when she sees outside jody foster's again her performance the way her eyes light up she is at now she is overwhelmed by the moment and this is where we get uh, a quote that may or may not show up later on uh about being impressed by what she sees and feels that they might have chosen the wrong person this is the best acting in the movie man this is this one this i would put this in number two. Oh man this is fucking crazy but it's good yeah and the thing is if you read the words on the page this is the value of a good actor like, a good script can get you so far but if you read the words on the page it's not anything to write home about nope uh, I agree. but when she is stuttering and stammering and can't say what it is she's looking at and she said there are no words and those poetry eyes. those eyes they should have sent a poet <laughs> oh man I'm like literally fucking hair standing up on the back of my neck right now yeah it it almost moved me moved me to tears when she said that yeah I, I can understand beautiful wicked okay <laughs> what do you got next uh i have the, the beach. beach yeah the beach Far away um i don't know what exactly to say specifically about the beach it it frankly it looks a little dated like nothing not bad not bad but it looks oh, okay yes okay yeah it looks a little surreal um, which might just be a stylistic choice. It's partially, I think, limitations, partially um, just kind of leaning into what they had at the time. Um, they were going for a particular look. I I don't fault the movie for it because they okay. kind of need to, but it's just it's worth observing that this scene in particular would probably be visually improved on a on a revisit. Possibly. Now, uh, here's a little pushback only because I know because I've, I've listened to the commentary mm-hmm. is that the filmmakers, I don't know how, how probably you haven't, you don't notice a lot of the details of it because it's your first watch, mm-hmm. but um, the waves are flowing outwards. Mm. They're away from the beach okay. because the, the aliens wanted to give Jody a sense of peace. And so that's why she sees what she does. It's, I'm sure you picked up it's the drawing she had when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. Um, it's not meant to look realistic. It's meant to have her calm. That actually, okay, that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying, uh, again, this is in character for both Jodie Foster and these otherworldly beings. Um, <clears throat> the image that would make her most calm, while it would be, a happy sight for her to see her father. Uh, calm is not the word I would use to describe it. Like the, I, she was 
she would be quite agitated by this. Um, I don't think she'd be agitated. Well, the the ex- the initial excitement and then re- realization that it's not her dad could potentially be, I don't know, a different reaction than they were looking for. It's fair. Yeah. Anyway, that's not that's not even a nitpick. That's not even a problem. That's just an observation. Um, but yes, uh, this is this is the why. I guess this is this is why we've come all this way. This is the the climax of the journey and uh the reveal that this we're not even the people who built this system we this was here for us already and this is one step on a long journey and we need you jody foster to uh to continue to uh, continue to convince humankind you need to go back to your people with what you saw here and tell them that this is only the first step we need to keep on going first of many first of many yep um, it's in my mind a very satisfying reveal very satisfying reveal for what's going on i had two feelings on this i had my initial feeling when i saw it in theaters and then my feelings on every viewing since mm-hmm. i can't remember why but it being her dad upset me in the theater hmm. i was like fuck you like i was not the same i wasn't thinking that they chose her dad to make her calm. It wasn't anything like that. I was just like, when I remember when he was walking close, I'm like, if it's her fucking dad, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to be so fucking angry. And I was. It didn't make me enjoy the movie any less, but it bugged me. And I can't, for the life of me, remember why. Hmm. Since then, since viewing two up to, I'll be honest, I've probably watched this movie 40 to 50 times. I think it... It, it has to be her dad, it right? Ha- it does. It has to be her dad. There's nobody else. And they've set that up in the movie. She's not married. Mm-hmm. She's not in a relationship. She has no children. She has no other family. It's her dad. The only other person that I would have accepted it being, but it wouldn't have made any sense, would have been Kent. Mm-hmm. Because that's the only other person that she fully trusts and has accepted into her life. But even then, I think that just would have conf- – I think if it was Kent – it would have confused her. Mm-hmm. But as soon as it's her dad, she, because of because of her beliefs, or if you want to say it, her lack of beliefs, lack of beliefs, when it's her dad, she realizes it's not my dad. There is no heaven. Mm-hmm. She realizes it's my dad because they need me to see a safe face. Mm-hmm. I need to be able to listen and basically trust this being and this is the form they've taken that will after the initial shock will allow me to trust them and so basically after since like i said after that first viewing it's never bothered me since and i i think it's the right decision for some reason that first it legit made me angry um i i honestly can't say why A, a guess would be um when I was first starting to get into into film, um, I know that I kind of equated predictability with poor quality. Mm, and so I did I did see this coming. I mean, not specifically all these plot points, but yeah. the being that is starting to take shape. I was like, oh, okay, it's her dad. Um, I don't think that makes it a bad plot point. It's, I agree. It's the clear. It's the clear choice. Mm-hmm. The reason why I was able to guess that is because it's a clear choice. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't. I don't think that makes it a bad thing. So I think if I had seen this at a younger age, because you, oh wait, no, in '97 you still would have been twenty-one. 
Yeah, I mean, if I saw this maybe five years ago, when when I was 21 and I was just kind of starting to get into film seriously. So right at the time we started doing this podcast? Exactly. <laughs> I guess it might have been a little bit before, but anyway. Um, I don't know. I can see a younger version of myself maybe being like, oh, that was – I saw that coming, therefore it was bad. It wasn't the, predict- it wasn't the predictability. I, I know it wasn't the predictability. There was just something about it, her being her dad that bugged me. Hmm. Interesting. But I can't put my finger on it. Yeah. It might have been the predictability, but I don't remember that being it. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. Either way, didn't care. Still love the movie. Yeah, and and like I said, I it does not bother me now. I I it is the right choice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely does. Awesome. Uh, I do have one more. So do I. Okay, it, then it's the same one. It's the, the final hearing. The final hearing. Okay, go ahead. Uh, another amazing speech from Jodie Foster. Her performance in the scene is absolutely spectacular. This is the scene that almost brings me to tears. Mm-hmm. And. And me too. And this is where the writers get to pat themselves on the back a little bit because they get to humble our atheist protagonist a little bit. And she gets to sputter and stumble and say, I can't explain what happened to me. And I can't I can't explain it to myself and I can't explain it to you. But you need to believe me when I say that we need to do this. I think this is a little bit of a stretch. The comparison that the film is the film is drawing a very direct comparison between faith in a higher being and faith that the that Jodie Foster is asking of the public is drawing a very direct comparison to those things and kind of having a little bit of fun at being like oh like she's learned a lesson like it's it would be hypocritical if she didn't learn a lesson at this point in reality those are those are different things I'm just gonna say those are those are very trusting a figure of authority who you can reason who has given you the correct answer on other things Trusting them to again give you the correct answer is a very different thing than believing in God. That's a, I just want to say that out. It's not an appeal to authority. It's not a fallacy. It's they're very different. I just want to say that clearly. Yeah. So, <laughs> I do. I do have some misgivings about the parallels that are being drawn in different kinds of faith. The English language is limited in that it calls these different things faith, even though they're different things. Anyway, I digress. Um, the so the writing of it makes me feel a little bit icky. However, the performance of it from Jodie Foster is what totally sells it. And for several minutes after the scene concluded and several minutes after the film concluded, I was going like, shit, like, yeah, that's a good point, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you got me there. <laughs> so it was kind of funny that way. But um, yeah, it, it is the clear conclusion of our arc uh, for our protagonist that she says, Listen, I have I have no evidence for these claims. Uh, I don't know how you expect me. Uh, I mean, I I don't know how I could reasonably be expected to prove these to you. Um, but you have to believe me. You have to, and that is kind of the kind of the space where we leave the movie. Although we have we have a little bit of an epilogue uh, that is to be coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, I will I'll, I'll give you a chance to talk about this courtroom scene real quick. But I just also real quick want to say I don't need the scene of james woods finding out or uh, having it rubbed in his face that there were 18 hours of unused um 18 18 hours of recorded static i don't think i need that scene no i, I don't think i do I'm, Interesting. maybe um I, I just i don't know we already the audience already believes what they're going to believe like we all we all saw it happen so we all we all know it happened basically um I don't know. I feel like I don't need this, but um, it is Hollywood. We need the scene of our antagonist getting his comeuppance a little bit. So fair enough. I can, it doesn't, 
it doesn't ruin anything for me. It just, you know, it's a two and a half hour movie already. I kind of felt like I didn't really need it. I love it. Okay, fair enough. Yep. <laughs> and I, I don't, I can understand, I totally understand the way you feel. Mm-hmm. I just, I needed it. I loved it. Sure. Cool. Uh, yeah, this scene I think is fantastic. Her monologue at the end uh, is spectacular. It's th- this is the moment for me where she almost makes me cry. Mm-hmm. And uh, I listened to two podcasts today about contact just to give myself a little refresher. And I didn't get a chance. I Generally, on the day we podcast, I, I try to listen to the director's commentary uh, on movies when I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, just – it's just nice for me. And it also kind of – because I can also hear the movie playing in the background when they're talking over top of it, so it keeps everything kind of fresh. I didn't get a chance to record the director's commentary for this one. But what I did enjoy was uh, one of the podcasts I listened to had an actor named Jamie Bell. Uh, have you seen um, the Elton John movie? Uh, yes, I have. Okay. Uh, Rocketman. He's the the partner of Elton John, not the, not the love interest. The writing partner. The writing partner. Yes. That's Jamie Bell. Right. He's an actor I really enjoy. Uh, he was a guest on the podcast, and he just whipped nothing but praise on Jodie Foster. Oh, yeah. And one of the things he talked about in this scene that I've always enjoyed as well is the way she uses her voice at that end. It's her it's her breathing and her – like when she says, I can't, or when he asks, is it more rational for you to believe this? And she's like, yes. It's the way she says those words that just get me so empathetic to her. Mm-hmm. And then when she has that monologue, which may or may not show up later, mm-hmm. uh, it just absolutely brings me to the verge of tears every single time. And again, it's her eyes, the passion and compassion and love that she has for her profession that just kill me. I absolutely love her in this movie. And for me, this is my favorite moment of her performance mm. in the film. Um, I, I This is not even remotely important, but Bernie Taupin, uh, T-A-U-P-I-N. Uh, That's the, the character's na- name? It's the name of uh, the, the guy who writes with Elton John. Yeah. He also played Tintin. Huh. If you've seen The Adventures of Tintin. I haven't, no. Right. Spielberg, right? Yeah. Yeah. Any good? Yes. Okay. Mid-tier. For Spielberg or just in general? Mid-tier for Spielberg. So pretty good. <laughs> yeah. The, the um, gosh darn it. Uh, he also played, <laughs> he also played the thing in the abysmal Fantastic Four film. Yes, I actually, was, I was just reading that. He played the thing. Just, just fucking. Have you just seen no, that? Oh, I saw it in theaters. <sighs> saw it in theaters. That. That's an abomination of a movie. That could be in my top 10 all-time worst films that's up there for me it's definitely up there yeah all right okay we're all done believe so sweet. yeah sweet what are you picking as your favorite scene uh you know what i think i think i'm gonna go going through the tunnel nice um it it is first of all I've, i mean i've most of my uh most of my critique on the visuals of the film have been uh great for the time a little bit dated i think this the going through the tunnel looks great because it's intentionally going to be a little bit more of a surreal imagery. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, it's not representing anything that, that we have ever seen. So it can be a little more abstract and a little more surreal. And 
Um, I think it's a pretty clear homage to 2001: A Space Odyssey as well. Uh, going through this uh, through this wormhole, it's it's great. Um, and yeah, the delivery of the of the line, uh, "They should have sent a poet," just sends fucking chills down my spine. It it's really fucking good from Jody Foster. I was gonna make a joke, but I didn't think you'd get the reference. Huh. I was gonna say it's also an homage to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I think I watched some, I okay. I have a brief memory of watching Bill and Ted in like social studies class in grade nine or something. Okay. Yeah, it's all good. Uh, I would really like to make my favorite scene the final hearing, but I have to be honest, it's the, the opening shot. No, oh. that 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 as well. No, it's it's her dad's death. It's it's the mirror shot. Oh wow! It it lives it, rent free in my it brain. It occupied your day. consciousness for a long time. Yep. Yeah. It is fucking phenomenal. That's always a sign of a good movie when you have multiple potential picks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right, time to get into our new section: noms and nods. Sam, where do you want to start? Well, I mean, start with the obvious. Jodie Foster is absolutely incredible in the movie. Uh, I love. Uh, I love. That addition, uh, your co- added commentary from Jamie Bell, the, the use of uh, the way she controls her breathing in some of her scenes is, um, I didn't even think about that, but I can hear her now, the way that she controls, like she squeaks out a yes, yep. in and in the way that she does that in a courtroom hearing, um, the way her eyes just bulge out oh. of her head when she sees what she sees, they, sh- they should have sent a poet, uh, and she's on the verge of tears, it just... She's so unbelievably moved by what she saw. Her performance in every single scene in the movie is great, but she has a couple of excellent standout moments. And uh, if we're pulling up the uh, the 70th Academy Awards, uh, I have them here somewhere. Hold on. Uh, who do we got? You've only seen two. I've seen two. I've seen Helen Hunt, as good as it gets. And I've seen Kate Winslet in Titanic. Okay, so I... I actually we listened to the ninety seven year review oh, episode yeah. and uh I mentioned that I had seen Judy Dench and Mrs. Brown. I actually looked it up. I don't think I have. Hmm. So I think uh I guarantee you I'll be seeing it before fucking the next one. Mm-hmm. So I've also only seen Helen Hunt and Kate Winslet. After this viewing, could be recency bias. I'm pulling Helen Hunt. Yeah, I honestly don't really remember I, as good as it gets that well that was very beginning of 2020 i think that's right pre-pandemic it's three years yeah um yeah but the fact that i don't remember her is indication enough that uh, i can pull her i think could you pull kate for this yes yes i could i'd prefer not to but yes yeah i have the choice of between helen hunt and kate winslet so you know we love us some kate winslet here on the podcast of Mm -hmm. course uh while i said titanic is a three-star film for me it's not because of that performance at all Mm -hmm. It's a great performance. Um, I really like this Jodie Foster performance. This is great. Yeah. Yeah. Spoiler alert for 15 episodes from now, or no more than 15 episodes now. The end of this miniseries, mm. I expect her to be on my final list. Totally. Yeah. Totally, totally. Okay. Uh, I'm – you know, fuck it. I'm, I could do this right here right now. Uh, we're this early. It's the first episode uh, of our miniseries, uh, or six, depending on how you want to look at it. Mm. Uh, best picture. Full, oh yeah, full Monty. Let's go there. Out. Yeah. Contact sure. in. This is not. Oh man, that's tough. That's actually tough for me. Um, this is not as tight a film as the Full Monty. I can totally agree. Full I Monty. Totally, I can totally understand. Full Monty is a great version of what it is. Yes. And I'm keeping in mind, I gave Full Monty a three. Yes. I gave it a three. 
Oh man, it is. It's actually quite close for me. I can tell you right now, if you ask me, would I rather watch the Full Monty tomorrow or Contact? It's Contact by a mile. Um, I don't know if I can replace anything in there. It's a little overbloated, and oh, I can get that. Yeah, I, I don't think it's as tight, and okay. I'm I'm respectfully going to disagree. That's fair. I'm definitely putting it in. Okay. All right. What do you got next? Uh, next I got, well, let's talk, um, I kind of have cinematography and, and visual effects kind of rolled into one, but okay. really they are different things, but the, the visuals in the film are really outstanding. Um, there's so many great things that, uh, that you see so many great visuals. There's a great shot right at the beginning. Um, Manny, do you happen to know if they actually shot at the, I think it's called the very large array? Um, or... I don't think they did. No, no, nope, that's I... all. That's going to be CG mostly. Uh, CG and soundstage from my understanding. Well, in that case, it, it looks great. It looks really good. There's a scene of all of the dishes kind of turning in, in unison mm-hmm. um, with Jodie Foster kind of framed in front of them. Um, there's a couple shots like that out of the gate that are really gorgeous to look at. Her uh, her looking out. Um, where I Is it New Mexico? The New Mexico, um, the, the plains? Um, she It looks spectacular there. So the nature shots are great. The shots of the technical equipment are excellent. And then, of course, you get the uh, the otherworldliness of the of the back half of the movie. Um, a really, really good-looking movie, in my opinion. Okay, so cinematography. I've only seen three. I do plan seeing all five. So you've only seen two. So you have to take out Titanic or Ellie Confidential to get it in for cinematography. Well, I'm not going to do either of those things. Yeah. So. And the <laughs> other one I've seen is Amistad, and I'm not taking that out either. Ooh, we have a Deacons this year, and it's a it's also a Scorsese, if uh, memory serves, right? Kunden? Yep. Yeah, yeah. that's which interesting. I have the only way to see that movie is to buy the DVD, oh. which is on its way. Hoo-hoo, baby. Yeah. Wes, uh, if, Wes, if you're listening, if you want to get on that episode, you better uh, you better buy the DVD. Or if you want to make it an episode, I guess you better buy that DVD. Yeah. Wes, come on. It's Scorsese. Yeah, you don't, have to. Don't be a bitch. Uh, so... Yeah, look, we got Kaminsky and Deacons, and they and they don't even win. Wow. So, uh, so we're not going to take out the ones we have seen, but since you have three slots, you haven't, and I've got two. Yeah, get it in there. I'll slide it in there. Uh, and visual effects, there's only three nominees. Okay, this is furthering something that I talked about. I can't remember what the – well, there's another 90s film that we talked about recently that has excellent um, – like CG and visual effects. I can't remember for the life of me what it was. I'm gonna have to that we up. reviewed? That we re- I think it's that we reviewed. Okay. Hold on. 82, blah, blah, blah. Was it Interview with a Vampire? What visual effects were in that? I can't remember, but I feel like we were talking about it with that. We ta- I'm sorry, oh, we- there, was a visual, there was a visual effect of uh, Kirsten Dunst uh, turning into a vampire. Oh. I believe that was CG. Okay. Um, I remember I speculated that that film was not nominated for special effects or for visual effects, uh, because it was early on in the industry adopting CGI, and it may have still been frowned upon. It's 94. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this film, uh, I think, lends some credence to that theory, uh, because the visual effects are obviously outstanding. They're, they're obviously outstanding. Yeah. And they did not even fill up the category, and they could not bother to give a blank spot to contact. I think that's fucking blasphemy. And it's fucking outrageous. Oh, and you've only seen two of these. I've seen all three. Yeah, I'm gonna see. The, I'm gonna see the third one soon, pretty soon. Yep. <laughs> Our, so, obviously, obviously, you're not taking out Titanic. Nope. Would you take out Starship Troopers for this? 
Uh, I don't have a great memory of Starship Troopers, but yeah, I think I would. I think yeah. I would. Um, another great looking movie. I think uh, the effects in that are really good. I think the effects for that one for me the, are more impressive than this one because of the bugs. Yeah, the bugs look really good. Bugs are all pla- practical there too, right? Some were, and some were CGI, and right. that's why I like that nomination. Interesting. Uh, and then, obviously, Lost World Jurassic Park, uh, it's not coming out. Hmm. Trust me, they look just as good. Damn it. Yeah. Hmm. All right. But, whatever. All right. Uh, okay, I'm going to go on some stretches here. Okay. All right. Let's see. Which one do I want to stretch first? I think I had a good one here. Oh, yeah, I do. Okay. Best Supporting Actor for Tom Skerritt. Okay. Okay. He plays a great antagonist. He is absolutely spectacular as a fucking asshole. Our nominees that year, Robin Williams for Good Will Hunting, Mm-mm. Robert Forster for Jackie Brown, Anthony Hopkins for Amistad, Greg Kinnear for As Good As It Gets, and Burt Reynolds for Boogie Nights. I am taking out Greg Kinnear. Yep, same. Get him out of there. I've seen, I've seen four of these. Yes. I, I love know. revisiting years we've already done. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. And you'll actually get all five. Because oh, we're, we're doing Amistad, right? Because we're doing Amistad. Yeah, okay. yeah. How are your best supporting actors looking up? Yeah. Oh, actually pretty good if you if you can sneak in the in and out viewing as well. Oh, dude, it's John Cusack. I'd love to. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Leading actress, you're still, you're fucked. Mm-hmm. Actor, you're fucked. Shoot. Yeah, yeah you're fucked. Oh, well, we'll get the supportings. Yep. Sweet. Uh, all right. So we're in for Tom Skerritt. I don't his performance honestly did not move me to that degree that it did you. If I am going to take out anyone, it's Greg Kinnear. I'm not convinced. I mean, we have we have 15 whole weeks. Am I am I slotting this in? Uh, if the question is, am I putting him in instead of Greg Kinnear? Um, sure. Like like <laughs> yeah. Like okay, I can I can get on board with that. If the question is like. Is he making the final Locking list? Locking in, like, not even, oh, not going to be close. I can tell you right now, he ain't making the final list. Not going to be close. But I'm knocking out Greg Kinnear. Fair enough. All right. If it makes you happy, man. It does. Uh, let's see what else. Oh I, oh, I do have another one. Do you have anything else? Uh, Yeah, what else do I got here? Uh, we were listening to the score uh, before we came on. Really, really top-notch. Alan Silvestri is, um, you know, he's one one of the greats, for real. He's been he's been doing great work for so long. I, I love so much of his work. And uh, this is this is a really good one. Uh, he he supports supports the film so well and uh, really captures the tone of of wonder that uh, that you need for this movie. Nominees for best original dramatic score. There were two. Oh yeah, it's one of those weird uh, years. So we have Titanic. Nope. Amistad, Goodwill Hunting, Kundun, and L.A. Confidential. Okay, so. Uh, I'm not taking out Danny Elfman, obviously. Not taking out James Horner for Titanic. So Titanic and Goodwill Hunting get to stay. Amistad, I haven't heard, but obviously it's John Williams, so I'm not gonna ditch him. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure I really liked the LA Confidential score. It was yeah, it was very like it was awesomely era appropriate. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we you do have two free slots with Amistad and Kundun. Not so you you can we can we you can cheatly put it in there. Sure. So, cheatily, I've only not seen Kundun, so I, I have an empty slot that I could use. Yeah. Out of the ones I have, I will say it. The only one I would consider moving out would be Goodwill Hunting. I, the score for Goodwill Hunting is, I think, is perfectly fine. It's not very high. Out of 
the ones I have heard, Titanic, Amistad, Google, Hunting, Alley, Confidential, it is my number four. Hmm. But I I don't like the score enough on this one to take it out, but that would be the only one I would consider. Mm-hmm. There's no way I'm – there's obviously no way I'm taking out Titanic or LA Confidential. And Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Dale Mastad's score is really fucking good, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Okay, so I would maybe, but probably not. It's the only one. And I, I remember I had I didn't even look, but I put the score down. I'm like, I fucking love this score. And I was like, oh, shit. Can't think of it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, I think that that's all I have. Uh, I have sound. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's sound. Oh, right. Oh, obviously, it lost the fucking Titanic. <laughs> yeah, so it was it was nominated for sound. Lost the Titanic. Got Air Force One, Con Air, Contact, and LA Confidential. So it was nominated for this. Four in there, too. Yeah. Man, I love this. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I, I really like the sound in this. The sound of the initial signal sounds really, oh, really great. Yeah. And the way that it overpowers things in the scene, they're not afraid to really turn it up, uh, is, is great. Uh, the sound of all the dishes creaking and moving is beautiful when they, when they rotate around. The sound of going through the wormhole, this, the sound in this movie is, uh, is really great. It's the kind of thing that you shouldn't notice in a movie. Uh, it should really just blend in, but um man there's there's some really great sound choices in this movie and it, it, you can you can hear some of this movie i can close my eyes and hear parts of this movie uh it's really good awesome all right time for our favorite quotes and things have changed a bit indeed they so? have uh so um we have uh, we've begun recently using uh actual audio clips of the quotes instead of reading them ourselves we've gotten positive feedback on that so thank you for everybody who did put in their two cents about that yeah thank you very much um it does have the drawback that there is potential for Manny and I to have overlapping quotes, which is fine. Uh, but when there's one really long quote that Manny and I both share, it can, it can occupy some time playing it twice. Yeah. So what we've decided to do is uh, combine our nominations for best quote into a pool. Uh, and we each still select a winner. So it's still the same number of quotes that we would have before, and it, we still both select a winner. Um, it's only that we present them kind of as one pool and uh, cut out the duplicates. So uh, do let us know if, uh, if you like the idea if it, and if it plays well. Um, and uh, I think without further ado, Manny, uh, you, can, you can begin playing the quotes unless you have something else to add. I do. Just one more thing. Because we are uh, pooling our nominees together, I am keeping it open to the possibility that we could end up choosing a quote we didn't choose ourselves. Which is fair. Yes. Which is a nice little twist. Yeah. yeah. Which I'm sure will will maybe eventually happen with something. Are you keeping concealed uh, who chose what quote? Oh, Since yeah. Since there just being one pool? Yeah, yeah it's yeah. just one pool. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's fine. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, so here are our nominees. You know what's funny is I actually don't have the numbers. I'll just say what this is next. All right. <laughs> Here are Sam and I's nominees for best quote for contact. I'm not against technology, Doctor. I'm against the men who deify it at the expense of human truth. And the next nominee is... Some celestial event. No. I should have said the poet. 
so beautiful. I had no idea. And the next nominee is... You're an interesting species. An interesting mix. You're capable of such beautiful dreams. And such horrible nightmares. You feel so lost. So cut off. So alone. Only you're not. See, in all our searching, the only thing we found that makes the emptiness bearable is each other. And our next nominee. I had an experience. I can't prove it. I can't even explain it. But everything that I know as a human being, everything that I am tells me that it was real. I was given something wonderful, something that changed me forever. A vision of the universe that tells us undeniably how tiny and insignificant and how rare and precious we all are. A vision that tells us that we belong to something that is greater than ourselves, that we are not, that none of us are alone. I could share that. I wish that everyone, if even for one moment, could feel that awe and humility and the hope. But that continues to be my wish. Our fifth nominee is? I'll tell you one thing about the universe, though. The universe is a pretty big place. It's bigger than anything anyone has ever dreamed of before. So if it's just us, it seems like an awful waste of space. And our sixth nominee. Explain this to me. If the source of the signal is so sophisticated, why the remedial math? Exactly. Why don't they just speak English? Yeah, well, maybe because 70% of the planet speaks other languages. Mathematics is the only truly universal language, Senator. It's no coincidence that they're using primes. I don't get it. Prime numbers. Uh, that would be integers that are only divisible by themselves and one. And the last and final nominee. You could, um, you could call me man of the cloth without the cloth. Those are our nominees for best quote. Sam, who are you picking? Uh, for me, the answer is obvious. Uh, I'm going with uh, Jodie Foster and the line that gave me chills. Uh, they, they should have sent a poet. It's not even really the line. It's it's the delivery, it's but I'm counting it. Yeah, uh, and I get it. And I think what this new way of us doing it is going to really allow people to 
really pick up on stuff. We've we've had quotes in the past where it's actually not the quote, it's the delivery of the quote that means something yeah. to us. Um, so I, I like that pick. I, I kind of knew it was going to be yours when we got to that scene and you described it. Uh, for me, it's the final monologue mm-hmm. uh, at the hearing. That's mine, yeah. for sure. Um, and while it is an excellent quote, of course, um, we wouldn't have needed to hear it twice. So <laughs> I think... Uh, <laughs> I think Hopefully that uh, that goes a little smoother. I yeah, think. we sh- we we had three crossovers. Yeah, in our in our list, and there's no real reason to play them twice. I, I agree. I, I think I'm gonna enjoy this going forward. I think so too. All right, weak link of the film. Uh, it's just it's it's one of two things. Okay. It's either the relationship between Jodie Foster and Matthew McConaughey, or mm-hmm. it's Matthew McConaughey. It's <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, all right. Let's parse this out. I I have it as their. I'm gonna go with the relationship between them, or the sure. um, the almost forced romantic B plot, as we like to call it often, because I don't find that Matthew McConaughey Matthew McConaughey is bad in this movie. Mm-hmm. I just think it's poor casting and a complete lack of chemistry. With him and Jodie Foster. Yeah. So I'm going to go with the romantic B-plot. That's probably the better move. With Matthew McConaughey. Not a close second, but he was... He was in in the running. Yeah. Yeah. He was like... He was in there. Mm -hmm. He was in there. He got the silver medal. That's right. Awesome. Okay. Uh, You ready for some trivia? Yes. Awesome. Uh, The remark made throughout the movie by different characters that if humans were the only life in the universe, it would be a terrible waste of space is a famous quote by author Carl Sagan. Hmm. It references a statement by the Scottish essayist Thomas Carlyle considering the potential uh, worlds worlds of other stars. Quote, a sad spectacle if they be inhabited. What a scope for misery and folly. If they not be inhabited, what a waste of space. End quote. Uh... Okay, that was something I want to talk about. Uh, the filmmakers put out a call for UFO enthusiasts. Uh, most of those extras brought their own wardrobe and props. Nice, very cool. Jodie Foster said that if she were given the opportunity to go to space but not come back, she would pass. Quote, I'm perfectly happy to be ignorant. Let the mysteries of the universe be clear to someone else. End quote. Interesting. It's a pass for me. Yeah, I think it's probably a pass for me. Uh before I had a daughter, it's a consideration. Yeah, I've you you saw me consider it. You saw me. I did doing the little look up. Like what? I, I don't. I don't. I think the answer is still ultimately a no. Yeah. Uh, on December, I didn't even know this. Uh, on December first, twenty twenty, the main structure of the antenna set in Arecibo, where Ellie travels to work in the SETI project, uh, meeting not only Kent Clark and and the team, but Palmer Joss, uh, down in um, I think it's Mexico. I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember. So oh, it's, uh, it's in South America. Puerto Rico, I think. Puerto Rico. Okay. Uh, collapsed due to poor maintenance oh, wow. uh, of the system in the last ten uh, in the last years, especially after Hurricane Maria in 2017. Hmm. The steel cables that kept the platform in the air dropped, and it crashed against the dish, destroying it in the fall. Due to the poor preservation, it was decided by the National Science Foundation, owner of the radio telescope since its building in 1960, that all the observatories be closed and dismantled, marking the end of 57 years of active service. Wow. That's sad. Yeah, it is sad. Uh, after the alien contact is publicized, a newscast mentions health officials from around the world are concerned that the message from Vega might trigger a rash of mass suicides, not unlike the recent cult deaths near San Diego. 
It's a reference to the 1997 Heaven's Gate mass suicide happened in Rancho Santa Fe, close to San Diego, California. Four months before the movie's premiere, where 39 people took arsenic and cyanide, believing their souls would be picked up by aliens on a spacecraft following the comet Hale-Bopp. It was a last-minute addition, taking advantage of the closeness of the news with the filming of the movie. Wow. Did you know about that? Do you know about Heaven's Gate? I am aware of Heaven's Gate, yeah. Okay. Um, This is you'll like. So this might be why this might be an answer to your little nitpick about uh, the German thing. Okay. The line about the opening ceremony of the 1936 Berlin Olympics being the first tele- television transmission of any strength is somewhat debatable. The 180 lines per second broadcast were only of sufficient power to be receivable a few miles away on the outskirts of Berlin and the surrounding areas. The Nazis had wanted the technology to make the spectacle visible throughout all of Germany. Germany, but the signal strength was not sufficient. Low definition, 30 lines per second, experimental television broadcasts date back to 1929 in the UK, and the BBC started broadcasting experimental high-definition broadcasts about two weeks after the Berlin Olympics had opened, with a regular service starting the following year. In 1938, a BBC transmission of London of 405 lines per second was picked up by the RCA engineers in New York, and recorded on film, showing that in the right weather conditions, their transmissions were powerful enough to be received thousands of miles away. Philo Farnsworth in the USA also conducted an experimental television broadcast in the 1930s alongside engineers in Japan and Russia, all working independently of each other. For narrative purposes, the film and the book it was based upon, Adolf Hitler's speech from 1936 was chosen to be the central focus of the first accidental interplanetary Uh transmission okay so that does make some sense um it's funny because in my head um i i don't know if i would have located it as specifically the munich olympics but in my in the recesses of my mind there is some fact living back there like um hitler is uh was the first one to successfully have like a like a radio communique that could be read from space so that i don't know if I would have gotten specifically the Munich Olympics or Berlin Olympics. Can't Berlin. Berlin. Yeah, Berlin. Um, but uh, nonetheless, I, I I rescind my nitpick. Because you, don't have if, to re- you don't have to rescind it. I don't know if that disproves your thought or theory or whatever. If, I, I think it, I think your, your nitpick of it is completely legitimate. Mm-hmm. It's just never an aspect I ever considered. Okay, fair enough. Cool. Uh, Contact was the very last film fashion designer Giovanni Versace saw in a cinema. Early the next day, Versace was shot to death by obsessed spree killer Andrew Cunahan outside of the front steps of his palatial mansion in South Beach, Florida on July 15, 1997. Cunahan committed suicide on a boat soon after. Holy shit. In Carl Sagan's book, the capsule returns with a small amount of sand on the floor. Further proof, Ellie was telling the truth. Mm-hmm. I uh, I'm actually very curious to read the book. I'm I'm I think I may have hinted or I may have implied that Carl Sagan wrote had a hand in writing the screenplay. It's not true. If I did hint that uh, he uh, he was only uh, he he wrote the novel. Yes. I guess. Um. So I'd be very curious to see because having an idea about him and his beliefs, I wonder if he's as um. Uh, I wonder if he's as quick to accept faith as uh, as a force for for good in the universe as as the others are, as the screenwriters are. All right. Mm. Uh, the suicide pill scene is controversial. 
Carl Sagan claimed that such pills were made available on all NASA missions to be used if astronauts were unable to return to Earth. Former astronaut Jim Lovell, commander of the ill-fated Apollo 13 mission, disputes that claim. NASA is... Well, why would they put that? NASA is short for National Aeronautics and Space Administration. That's dumb. Uh, after the funeral, Ellie starts her radio call with CQ. This is phonetic shorthand for seek you and means please respond if you hear this. Hmm. Nice. Uh, casting what ifs. Uh, Carl Sagan was to cameo as a member of the committee committee, sorry, selecting an occupant for the machine, but he died before the scene was filmed. Yeah, I think uh, stomach cancer, if I, if I, if I, I think. Something like I that. think that sounds right. Yeah. Uh, producer and director Robert Zemeckis had initially approached Sidney Poitier to play the president, Whoa. but he turned the role down in favor of the jackal. Shortly after Poitier's refusal, Zemeckis saw a NASA announcement in August of 1996. Clinton gave his Mars rock speech, Zemeckis explained, and I swear to God, it was like it was scripted for this movie. When he said the line, we will continue to listen closely to what it has to say, I almost died. I stood there with my mouth hanging open. (laughs) That is funny. Matthew McConaughey dropped out of the lead role of the Jackal in order to be in this movie. Oh. Interesting. Ray Fiennes was considered for the part of Palmer Joss. I may have liked him better. I agree. I think I would have liked him better. Peter Jackson did some visual effects for this movie, repaying the favor to Robert Zemeckis, who was the executive producer on The Frighteners, his film. Hmm. That is funny. George Miller was initially slated to direct. And Uma Thurman was considered for the role of Dr. Ellie Arroway. Also would have been good. Um, on the note of George Miller, sure, he would have done the George Miller version, and I think he's a very talented director. Um, there are precisely two filmmakers in 1997 who could have made this movie, and one of them is Robert Zemeckis. Spielberg? Yeah. I think those are the only two. I can't think of anyone else who could have made this movie. Certainly not to the technological degree that uh, Zemeckis did. Cameron? <sighs> Three directors. <laughs> <laughs> he was a little busy. Yeah. Yeah, because he had a Titanic this year, which uh, I'm told did okay. I like that statement a lot, actually. Yeah, this early on, I like it. Yeah, there's right. only three. Closing credits. Would you watch this movie again? Yes, I would. Yes, I would, and I have countless times. Would you recommend this movie to friends? Yeah, I would. I actually, I was thinking, my brother's big uh, science and sci-fi and astronomy guy. Mm-hmm. I think I might uh, recommend this to him. Sweet. Yeah, yeah I've recommended this movie to many people. Uh, Sam, MVP of the film? Uh, Jodie Foster, uh, by, a, by a long shot. Foster for me as well. Uh, Zemeckis would be my only other person I would have considered. Um, again, I say it every episode, one of my favorite parts of this mm-hmm. uh, podcast. Recommend a good double feature. Okay. Well, I mean, we've we've chosen a couple on a couple occasions, a couple double features. So, um, from a subject matter standpoint, I think Arrival is a pretty a pretty good one. Uh, a movie about the human reaction to uh, first contact. Um, a movie more about the humans than about the aliens themselves. I think it's it would be a good one. Um, I went a little off base, but this often I kind of have to strain to find these. This actually occurred to me while I was watching the movie. Um, let me know what you think about this. A divisive film about faith um, that kind of uh, seems to think it is a proof of faith or a proof of uh, faith being good. Um, 
uh, with outstanding visual effects, but it is divisive. Uh, that would be Life of Pi. Holy shit. I cannot wait to revisit that movie. Yeah, I I liked it. I saw it in theaters, though. So did I. So, yeah. Okay. Is that is that the answer? Is that the one you're going with? I think with? I'm going with Life of Pi. Okay. So I have uh, Arrival as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have the movie. I did a double feature with this movie, Men in Black. Yeah. It's, I, as soon as you said that, <laughs> I was like, I hope you actually choose that because that's great. <laughs> uh, I have other ones uh, all going with somewhat the same theme. Not the faith theme, mm-hmm. but the first contact theme. I have E.T. Yeah, that's fine. Signs. Which I which, have I told you, signs scared the shit out of me. I can understand when I was like eleven, twelve. Mm-hmm. Saw it on space. I made it to uh, the alien walking by, and uh, shut it off. <laughs> <laughs> Watching it alone in my basement. Haven't seen all of signs still. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a two thousand one film, if I'm not mistaken. I want to say. For some reason, it's two thousand three in my head, but I'll, I'll double check. No, I don't think it can be that far away because. Six Sense is 99. Split the difference. Oh, two. Okay. Uh, and my last one is... My last one is the one that I actually want to choose, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to because my memory of it is so poor. But it's Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I've actually never seen Close I know Encounters. You haven't. I haven't seen it. I know. So... the My heart wants to pick Men in Black because that's the double feature I did do. Mm-hmm. I really want to pick a rival because it's a better film. Yeah. And arguably a better pure double, double feature. Yeah. So I'm going to finalize. You're going with the life of pie. I am going with life. Of then pie. I'm going to go with a rival. Yeah. Cool. Order. Give me. What's that? Give me life of pie. First, okay. give me life of pie first. That was a tough one. I'm going contact arrival. Yeah, I don't know. I think um, arrival might just be might just be a hair better, but I honestly can't remember life of pie uh, that well. I've seen it twice, I've and seen life both of, of once. both of them would have been they would have been pretty close to each other in terms of the timeline. What year is that? 2013, 2012, somewhere in there. Life of pie. Yeah, or is it not that long ago? Life of pie. Yeah, it's about 2013. Arrivals 2017. 2012 for Life of Pi and Arrival, I want to say, is 2003 or 2015, rather. Six, uh, 16. 16 or 17? 16. Yep. Nice. All right. Uh, okay, hold on. I got to highlight this as my final choice. Let's do this. All right. What would be this film's legacy? Uh, for me, I'm going to say the opening shot. Ooh. I think the opening shot is pretty iconic. Um, I'm open to other suggestions on that, especially given that you actually did see this movie in theaters and have had lots of time to think about its legacy. The mirror shot. That's that. That's the shot. Not the not the opening one. Interesting. Okay. I don't know. I I, I don't think this film has much of a legacy, except for maybe this is Zemeckis's follow up to go Forrest Gump. Hmm. Interesting. Just got overshadowed this. This year by a bunch of great movies. By a Titanic film. Hey yo. Uh, did you learn anything from this movie? Yeah, what did I write for this? Um, exploring the depths of the unknown. 
can result in deep introspection and personal discovery. I like it. Uh, sometimes even the most ardent supporter of facts and science must take a leap of faith and believe. Mm. Sam, your final thoughts on contact. This, uh, the, the best thing I can say about Arrival is that it is an incredibly thought-provoking movie. Um, I, will, I will be taking this one with me and thinking about this for a long time. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if what I'm about to say is true, but I'm just going to say it. Sometimes a film like this, which is um, very well-intentioned and mostly very good, but also flawed, um, sometimes I like watching a movie like that more than a masterpiece. Because I, I have to wrestle with it and think about it and reckon with it. If nothing else, this film will make me think about it for a very long time. And I will, I will be happy to, re to revisit it um, many times because of that, I think. Um, it's not a perfect film. The script is a little overbloated. Uh, we have Palmer Joss is just not the love interest that we need. Um, having thematically opposed um, romantic interests is is a fun thing and a good idea but you actually need to have actors who play off each other and matthew mcconaughey just is not on jodie foster's level even a little bit they just you don't buy that they um even like each other really let alone love each other so that's an unfortunate mark on the movie mm -hmm. uh that their relationship isn't really written well enough and not and they just don't have the chemistry to overcome that um there's a couple of subplots in there as well that we didn't even talk about. Like we didn't even talk about the billionaire subplot, uh, with him kind of buying his way in. Uh, it's a little bit of a weird inclusion, especially with the political climate in 2023. You definitely would not write a billionaire to have such a prominent positive role. Um, he's, he just looks evil, but they include him in such a prominent, but positive he's not. Yeah, and he's not, which I thought was... He's a benefactor. Yeah, totally. Um, so there's stuff like that where, honestly, I think you can cut a lot of that stuff. I mean, it, it's somewhat important because um, the alternate explanation for what really happened is that he was the mastermind of it all, so you kind of need it, but it's also... The script, the script is a little messy, unfortunately. Um, but overall, there's some really really neat nuggets of information about faith the real life science and mathematics in the movie i think are so very interesting it's a profound powerful movie about questions that affect us all questions of faith questions of what do i believe in questions of why why are we here what is my purpose what am i intended to do um and there's there's so much so much goodness there and that is all tied together by a, a jody foster performance that I it was criminally overlooked by the Academy. Unfortunately, it is, uh, it was a, an excellent, excellent, excellent performance. Um, yeah, I, I had mostly a very good time with contact with, with some caveats. I could have used the two hour cut, could use a two hour cut of this movie. And I think it, it really would have really would have been able to, uh, remove the full Monty from the best picture race for it. <laughs> <laughs> I love this movie. Uh, obviously. I love this movie. I uh, like I said, I've watched it north of thirty times easily, easily. I think Jodie Foster. I agree. I think she's criminally overlooked, and I kind of always keep forgetting that until I watch the movie, and then I'm blown away by what I see. I agree, Matthew McConaughey and her love interest, as her love interest in the movie, is unfortunately. The, the 
weak part of the film. We do, like we said earlier on, we do need that character in the movie, and we do need them to be romantically linked. So we need somebody else in that role that can have a type of connection with Jodie Foster that makes it believable. Ray Fiennes might have been the one. Who knows? Uh, I don't find... I can understand why you feel the movie is bloated. I personally don't feel that way, but I think I'm overtaken by my enjoyment of the film. So I don't mind parts. I, I don't know where I would take stuff out, honestly. But uh, that's because I really like the movie, so I don't want less of it. I want more. The special effects mostly hold up. Again, I come from an era where I was introduced to CGI, so I'm willing to let a lot of what is quote-unquote bad CGI, uh, I'm willing to let it go because I grew up with it. And it's a movie that has always touched me and provided me countless hours of entertainment. It's a movie that I will continue to watch over and over again going forward. Time to give this movie a rating, Sam. What's your final rating for Contact? Yeah, I briefly considered it. Give, I briefly considered giving it a different rating, but I think it is a four. I really did enjoy it. Um, I briefly considered giving it a three, but I don't think it is. I, I really, I really did enjoy this movie, and it's going to make me think for a long time. And I'm going to look forward to rewatching it. And I don't, I don't think I can give it anything other than a four. It never truly approached a five. Uh, it's, it's far from a perfect movie, but, uh, but very, very enjoyable. It's a four for me as well. The only way this gets a five is because I enjoy it so much, mm -hmm. but there's just aspects of it that I, I can't, my enjoyment of it aren't allowing me to look past it. Case in point, an example of a five movie for me that is nowhere near a five for you, but Tremors, my enjoyment of that movie allows me to overlook the cheesiness factor some of the other things in that movie that just don't work. But because when I watch that movie, it makes me so happy. It's a five. Mm -hmm. This doesn't quite reach that level. This movie is so deep uh, and so intellectual, but the aspects of it, I enjoy so thoroughly. It's an easy four for me. I don't know if it'll ever cro encroach a five and it's definitely never getting a three. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Easy four for me. Sam, what do we got going on next week? I don't know if I actually do know what we have. Oh, is it uh, is it a... Uh, no. What is it? It's Boogie Nights. Oh, shit. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Uh, so that's going to be what? Episode 275. Five. Episode yep. 275, he types in. Boogie Nights. No need for a uh, movie. Pl You've seen this, right? Oh, I've seen it a couple times. Yeah. I think I've seen it probably three times already, if I was to guess. Can you check? Do I have Boogie Nights? I'm pretty sure I do. Should be an orange. No? No. Okay. What about... There is one more roll B up top. No boogie nights? That's... I don't see it, That's dude. a fucking problem. You're gonna oh. need to get that. Oh, well, we're going shopping. It's not, not perfect alphabetical order, hey? No. No, okay, no it's not. Cool. No. I'm just making sure I'm not, like, having a stroke or something. No. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right, so boogie nights next week. That's gonna be epic. And I already used my mulligan, so... I won't be able to talk about the whole movie. Yep. Um, 
please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. If you give us a five-star rating and a positive review, it does increase the profile of our podcast, and we would love to have some more listeners. You can also give us a rating on Spotify. It takes mere moments for you to do so. You can follow us on Instagram and threads at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. You can email us at sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Letterboxd. Lovely little app. Uh, Sam Reimer and Manny42, respectively. I always get here and stumble. I think we're good. For the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. I'm okay to go. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios!